0: Hey everyone, and welcome to October's episode of Cult Cinema Catacombs. Before we begin, I wanted to kind of give you a heads up on what's going on with this episode. We're doing something a little bit different for the month of October. It's Halloween, COVID-19 going on, ruined a lot of our plans, so I wanted to do something a little bit special. This is going to be a double-length episode because we not only will have commentary from myself and Andrew Farmer about the film today, Shockma, but we will also be discussing the little thing that is out there on YouTube and also on Amazon Prime, if you're a member of Amazon Prime, called the Paul Lind Halloween Special, which is notorious for having the first ever television appearance by the rock band KISS. But that's not all. This episode is being divided into two very distinct parts. One of the parts will be a discussion between Mr. Farmer and myself on both of these items. But first, you're going to hear from myself and a very special guest star, a man who has a special connection in my life and also is the one responsible for bringing Shockma to my attention. And he's also a man who has very special connections with Fangoria Magazine and I will introduce him right after this. Welcome to the first half of the show. As I stated at the beginning, we're doing something a little bit different here. Uh, before we get to uh, Mr. Farmer's reactions to the magic that is Shakma, um, I have a very special guest with me. Uh, this man is—he's—he's he's in a lot of folds in my life, actually. This man, who not only introduced Shakma to me, uh, this is a man who's introduced quite a lot of interesting movies to me in my life. <laughs> Uh, this is also the man who conducted the marriage uh, between my husband and I, uh, producer Chris. And That's me
1: back here in the corner. <laughs> my religion. Oh, hi, Chris. Hey. <laughs> um,
0: this man has connections with Fangoria magazine. He is the the overseer, I guess you could say, of the American genre film archive catalog. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. James Wallace.
1: Hello. Yeah, I have I married you and your husband, and I have married you to uh, many a film uh, that you may have otherwise not seen nor heard of.
0: And some that will never be erased from my memory ever again, like like uh, Teenage Mom and um, uh, this one, definitely, Shakma, but, but this one in a good way, because I get a kick out of this film. Uh, so... I, this was this. I, I mean, uh, for those who don't know, at the Alamo Drafthouse Theater in Richardson, uh, California, you hosted a monthly series. Texas, or or, or sorry, Texas. Um, you uh, hosted a series called ACFA, which was based off of the American uh, genre film archive. Yeah, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so the American genre film archive for Agfa is you know, it started as uh, as essentially just an archive, um, a way for, for Tim League, um, who is the founder of the Alamo Draft House to to preserve these prints. You know, Alamo has has really championed um still showing movies on thirty five millimeter and and also championed kind of keeping genre film alive. I mean, we we owe you know, Alamo for, uh, you know, the existence of Miami Connection amongst many other films. But, but that essentially all came out of AGFA and, and people would reach out to Tim and say, hey, we have these entire collections, somebody would die, or like, you know, in other countries where, um, you know, the, the film department is literally part of the government, um, they wouldn't know what to do with these collections and, and they would literally just be like throwing them in the ocean. Uh, it, it was a, a fate shared by Optimus Prime and Osama bin Laden. Uh, but, um, so, you know, he started to just, Tim's a collector, uh, you know, and, and so he started to collect all these prints and he's like, man, there's so much stuff in here. And, and it really became this kind of, uh, quite literally physical representation of like a 35 million millimeter, like celluloid cinematic version of like, the warehouse at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, right. and and you know as they started to kind of get organized, uh, that's when Agfa really took shape as a nonprofit. And I mean, it's got everybody on the board from Paul Thomas Anderson to Nicholas Winding Refn, like some of the greatest genre filmmakers of our time. But over the years, what happened, and and we were just I think lucky that we were, you know, when we when when I say we like alamo draft house dfw uh you know we started the agfa secret screening series um two months after we opened our first theater in richardson and i think we were just uh you know i was inspired myself between seeing the archive and then you know uh being a fan of of the brand and, and going to terror tuesday and weird wednesday and and seeing not only the movies that they were showing but the communities that were building around the screenings and um Uh, we, we kind of, I think we're just part of the, a really special time in Agfa where it started to take shape as not only this archive to, to, you know, literally and figuratively house this collection, but like they started to, to, um, you know, they raised the money to get a, um, a film scanner and they started to scan these prints in and they started to, build a database, and they started to discover what they really had in there, and they started to restore them and release them, and then they started to kind of become this coalition of, of you know, uh, something weird, video, and vinegar syndrome, and and Shout Factory, slash Scream Factory, like all the kind of who's who of genre distributors, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and yeah, here we are today, I mean, like I said, I don't, you know, it wasn't by any design outside of just starting a series to showcase it, but to kind of be even a small part of that um, in a way and, and not taking credit at all for anything, <laughs> you know, those heroes at AGFA uh, have have been over the years and the way that they've really transformed it from that small nonprofit to, to what it is today, um, you know, preserving these genre films for future generations. But just to be some kind of part of it over the years... Um, and and showcase the archive in the way that we have and and really i mean the thing i'm proud of beyond that is just the community we built around it and and you know beyond just the typical people that you would expect to be at these screenings that you would expect to be genre fans um, and and you you know you were certainly like a major part of that and and there since i can you and chris there since i can you know since i can remember so that's kind of a a small you know scaled down version of the 7 year history of the series mm-hmm. uh which we just celebrated our 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 7th anniversary which was our 79th screening and it was actually the last you know for the foreseeable future sadly the state of the industry you know all of our our dear beloved alma draft house locations here in Dallas have have you know closed shuttered for the foreseeable future um until Hollywood starts releasing, you know, uh big movies again that can sustain them, but um but yeah, it was uh it was such an honor along the years to be a part of that and an honor to kind of be the last, you know, curtain closed screening at the Alamo for, you know, the time being.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I hope I, I, I hope it comes back. I mean, it's sad to see what happened to it, and so I'm, I'm crossing yeah. fingers that you know so that something does come to it Cause I, I understand that you know things do change, but I do enjoy the movie going experience. I'm hoping that that just doesn't suddenly you know fade into a memory or anything. But yeah. the good news is is that Agva is still going strong if it's not able to do the Agva Street screenings because with that. Uh, money that was invested with a Kickstarter. Actually, I remember yeah. participating in that. Yeah. Uh, you know, getting the digital scanner enabled to go into their their vault to see what they really have. Right. Now yeah. they're able to get stuff, you know, distributed on home yeah. video. Yeah. Um, like uh, um, like uh, Ed Woods, take it out and trade. I know yeah. is one that immediately comes to mind. And plus, also uh, Bat Pussy, which I think yeah. is one of the best titles ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, of course, there's the uh, the infamous Zodiac Killer movie, which is right. not about Ted Cruz, but the <laughs> the movie that the filmmaker made in order to try to catch the Zodiac Killer, which I think is just this great backstory with it. Um, and I still need to get, I want to get that uh, collection of archives from them of all of those drug paraphernalia scare yeah. films from the 60s and yeah. the 70s. I, was, I saw that was coming out. I, oh, I got to get that. So I'm glad to see that that they, you know, have just grown in leaps and bounds. And, yeah, it did become a a family event because it it became one of those things where you just looked forward to going to it each month. And you got really sneaky with it because you definitely hooked and baited everybody (laughs) with um, the very first movie, which was Beetlejuice. Yeah. Uh, And we're like, oh, this is exciting. And then the very next month, all of a sudden, we see the Lucasfilm logo, yeah, and we get uber excited because it's like, oh my god! And then it's Willow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then the true meat of Agfa began um, with all of the really weird and wonderful films over the years. Yeah, yeah, there have been some that have been definitely emotionally scarring, like the Erotic Adventures of Pinocchio. Yes. Uh, and of I course, still
1: want Pinocchio's birthday adventure.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I hope someday they scan that actually and release that on video because that was just so bizarre and twisted, but so fucking hilarious. Yeah, I, especially the scenes where they're dragging the puppet across the ground to make it look like he's roller skating, but you could tell he's just dragging the puppet across.
1: Yeah, the it was it was um you know it, it you really got something bizarro on your hands when the like 70s puppet kids adaptation of pinocchio is weirder uh than the 70s porn adaptation of pinocchio um, but but there's been a lot of
0: fun ones that you've um shown but there was something special yeah <laughs> about Shakma. yeah uh, no,
1: not really <laughs>
0: And I think it was. I think it was probably one of the first ones that really that really struck a like a yeah. nerve with everybody that attended the, the the screenings. And in fact, it was the only one that got an encore presentation due to fan yeah. demand.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, it's um. You, you know, if if somebody was like, "What is Agfa in five movies?" Like in terms of like, "What is the Agfa secret screening in five movies?" I mean, Shakma would definitely be up there because not only does it, it represent as a, as a movie, the type of movie that I think, you know, we would spring on people because that was, to me, that was like, you know, when I, when I started the series, I kind of set some, some key rules for myself. um And, and one of those being that, you know, it was always going to be a secret because if I tried to get, you know, 300 people close to 300 people in in the biggest theater of all the alamos in Dallas every month to watch movies like Shockma, uh you, you know like that wouldn't happen no, in yeah. no reality does that happen but if you know it's a secret and a mystery and 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 people are showing up knowing um you know that their their expectations can be as wild as possible and sometimes what we showed them even superseded their wildest expectations uh, or dreams or nightmares. Uh, uh, but you know, I think your defenses are down. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you you expect everything and nothing, and you you never knew what you were going to see month to month. And you know, walking into a movie like Shakma is that's kind of the best way to see it. And I think that you know, I think it originates back to how a lot of us were discovering these movies um in the first place if 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 we saw them you know a lot of these movies that we were showing were definitely of the video store era where you would walk in and you 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 know browse through the genre section and you'd rent a movie on on you know cover alone um Shockma was absolutely you know uh very much in that pantheon of of video store you know 90s movies that that you would see the cover and be like Oh my god, what is this? Like, it's got this, you know, like, killer baboon on the cover. Um, so I think that was all, you know, always, uh, it was like part of the spirit. And, and I always joked around that Chakma was kind of like the spirit animal. He was the, the mascot of Agfa. Cause it, it really like, it was one of the top five screenings in terms of, of audience reaction. And, and so it not only is a movie, I think represented the type of movies that we were, um, surprising and, and shocking people with, uh, shock m people with, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, also just, like, in terms of, like, when, over the seven years and 79 movies we showed, like, it just was one of those, it was like, it, 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 the movie hit in every single way. Like, for me, part of the fun was knowing these movies and, and programming them and, and getting excited of how, the audience was going to react to them, like not only to watch them in a theater full of people, because most of the time I'm just watching them by myself at home uh, and they're enjoyable enough as they are. But like that's, you know, and we celebrate these movies like these movies deserve to to be seen in theaters with an audience full of people that are ready for anything. So. Um shockman was just so kind of special and um and yeah, we brought it back' because uh one of the the dear friends of the Alamo and part of the community uh David Perrell passed away, and it was his favorite for secret screening, and so we showed it as kind of a memorial screening to him and and i you know I broke that rule that was not I mentioned the rules I set for myself, that was one of the other rules that I would never show anything twice and i would never show anything that had like already been programmed publicly at the alamo um uh but uh but yeah it's you know worthy of two screenings at the Agfa secret screening we'll say that <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's also interesting when watching the films that you've shown at ACFA, I, sometimes some of them I get really excited because I'm aware of them, like The Wraith. I was so happy to see The yeah. Wraith on the big screen because yeah. I never had a chance to see that on the big screen, and I watch that all the time on HBO. So yeah. I got really sure. excited with that one. But just discovering some of the other films that you've, that you've shown, like um, the uh, – what was the one with um, – oh, Get Crazy with yeah. – uh, Malcolm McGatt, McDoug- which is by the way coming out on home video yeah. finally it's after all this Getting
1: release. Yeah, it's getting yeah. a release. Yeah. Uh,
0: there's that one. Uh, there is. Uh, let's see. I, I never thought I would ever see the Garbage Pail Kids movie purposely on the big yeah. screen. It did that to yeah. us. Uh, Boxers Omen, which I yeah. hope someday actually comes out right. as a non-bootleg or something, because that was just awesome.
1: That uh, one was really fun because that was what, you know, I I, I over 70 years, you try and keep it fresh and you try and kind of then break the rules and do different things. And that was one way I had the idea that month to to let, you know, the guys from Agfa program the title. And I said, you pick it. I want this experience to be like, you know, just like everyone else in that I have no idea what we're showing um, and I said, you know, do your worst, pick your most bonkers, you know, kind of face-melting movie, and boy, oh, boy, did they deliver.
0: I would have to say that, I mean, you're talking about the top five. Boxer's only probably would have to yeah. be number one because that definitely represents everything Agfa was about. And I would put Shockman number two, honestly, yeah. because, yes. um, God, I mean, uh, what other what other way to describe Shockwood other than a a serial killer movie where the serial killer is a enraged, horny baboon yeah. and the victims are LARPers,
1: you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and who wouldn't want to kill a bunch of LARPers if they were locked in a, a building with them. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, essentially it's, you know, it, it came out in 1990 and, and it's kind of post slasher boom, but it's, you know, it's uh, uh, at some point, the the kind of framework of the slasher movie went off in a bunch of different directions and it gave us everything from alien to die hard you know what i m- mean like those yes. are two movies that are examples of movies that use the slasher framework of of putting a group of people trapped in a certain location and you know they basically have to fight to survive and they're being stalked by this ominous killer whether it be you know a uh, a uh, a baboon or a slasher killer or you know an alien or you know in the in the sense of die hard where it kind of flips it and and uh the slasher character is the good guy and the terrorists are the bad guys uh the group of people so um i would say that Shockman is essentially a slasher movie uh yeah. And, um, you know, in, in kind of the most tropey ways. And yet you haven't married, like, they could have easily, in the way that, um, something like Chopping Mall is another example of a movie that, like, puts a group of, you know, teenagers, as they often are, trapped in a mall, and they're being killed off by these, you know, killer, uh, future 80s futuristic robots. But there's really no, besides the fact that they're having a party and they get locked in the mall, like, Shockma does something interesting in that they could have easily put these medical students in this medical building. They could have been having a party, like, whatever, right? But they give them this, like, weird, complicated, layered, at the time kind of technologically advanced computer-slash-IRL-based, like, (laughs) Dungeons and Dragons game, which is, like, a movie in itself, and then you mix in the killer baboon, and you have Shakma. Like, it's just, um, I have always wanted to kind of, like, if I could go back and be, like, a fly on the wall in a pitch session for a movie, like, this would be one of the ones that I would love to, like, hear, like, it felt like they had two different movie ideas, and they're like, why don't we just put these together? Um... (laughs) <laughs> and then it became this weird hybrid, you know, uh, movie of both of, of of those ideas, I guess.
0: And when you think of, you know, a slasher horror movie like this, I mean, it made sense having someone like Amanda Weiss in it because she's yeah. – She's totally. no to it, you know, especially with her involvement with Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. But when I think of hero in a slasher movie, I too do I do too think of the man from the Blue Lagoon and the Pirate yes. movie, Christopher yes. Atkins.
1: The poor man's Patrick Swayze. Um.
0: <laughs> what what in the trailer? What award was it they said that he won in the trailer? It was uh, 1990s, like best young actor or something yeah. like that. And yeah, I'm like young. Yeah. Oh.
1: <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was also in Dallas and did a bunch of like kind of heartthrobby, like uh soap operay stuff and like you you know like you can see that all over him. Um he he even ends up in like what I consider like the 90s action hero outfit, which is like the like, you know, acid wash jeans, cowboy boots and white t-shirt tucked in. Like he's just he was kind of the perfect guy for that role and he is um he really feels like he's trying to bring it more than anyone else in that movie. Um he does a lot of like uh smell the fart acting uh where he's got these like big just dram- over dramatic scenes where he's yeah. like he's almost bringing it too much. Uh just so many scenes where he's in just total shock and then of course all leading to the um you know the the big end uh scene where he decides to take his revenge on Shakma for for killing not only one, but both of his special ladies. He seemed like every girl in this movie is his special lady. Uh, from Amanda Wist to Ari Myers. Um, and after Amanda Wist dies, Ari Myers becomes... Like is is like kind of love interest in Which the movie.
0: Is creepy because she's like what fourteen, fifteen. In this so movie? so what's funny is
1: like she's if you look her up, she's about the same age as everybody else. Let's yeah. let's be real. Everyone in this movie is like thirty five playing a twenty year old medical student. Um, but she was like twenty playing like twelve. And yeah. um, she you know like she's one of those girls again that like you think, like, oh, she was in everything. Like, she was in Full House, and she was in, like, every sitcom in the 90s. She looks so familiar. But then you realize, like, no, she looks like she's, like, if Topanga and DJ Tanner had a daughter, it would have been Ari Myers. And she, like, really wasn't in that much stuff. Um Nobody really was, except, of course, for... Roddy McDowell, who, yeah. who I'm sure we we'll get to talk to, but a whole,
0: uh, whole stunt casting there with Roddy McDowell. It's like okay, yeah. we're gonna have we have a movie about a psycho primate, Roddy McDowell, who right. honestly in this movie the whole entire time looked like he was annoyed with everything and everybody.
1: Which is, uh, you know, he's he's method because he's just so annoyed with all these like annoying. This is a movie where you like root for the slasher, like you yeah. root for Shochma to kill everybody because everyone is. Such an, an annoying, like, very, like, more, like, 90s kind of sitcom archetype character. Um. Actually, Mr. Sir Bradley. Uh. Oh, oh, don't talk about my boy Bradley. Uh, Jay Lockman, <laughs> who is, like, having sex with the audience in every single <laughs> scene. He is having sex with the gummies chewing. He's having sex with the walkie talkies. Uh, he, it is a shame that he was the first character to die because, whatever that guy is doing in this movie, like they should have just created an acting award for him. Um, and it's a real shame. This was the only movie he was ever in, but he's like, yeah. he's really doing something interesting. And like, he's clearly playing the character, you know, gay, Uh but like they never acknowledge that. And I don't, there's nothing on the internet about Trey Laughlin. So I don't know if he was really gay in real life. And I don't know, I kind of, like, love that he's this seemingly gay character, but, like, it's kind of representation in a movie where, like, it just doesn't matter. And Roddy McDowell and him have this really interesting dynamic, and I just, lo- like, Bradley is, every time he's on screen, he's, like, enigmatic. Um, it's, I've got it's, a
0: clue and I'm going to use it to get the key. It's
1: between him <laughs> Between him and Roddy McDowell, it's some of the finest walkie-talkie acting I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but yeah, I mean, Amanda West is, is, you know, of course, from Nightmare on Elm Street and Better Off Dead, Fast Times, Force 5, um, which is a great, um, very Agfa-esque movie. Um, it's, it's surprising, I think, that they got her in there. I remember we hosted a big Nightmare on Elm Street. Reunion at Alamo, and I told her it was it was pretty soon after we showed it, and I told her you know we just showed Chakma, uh, and we showed it you know for a theater of like you know two hundred and fifty plus people was a and sold out crowd yeah, yeah, and she's like wait, people showed up for it, and I was like yeah, and she's like and they liked it, and I was like it probably <laughs> never played to a better crowd, and she was just so. Uh, I, you know, I think they were all young actors and they kind of knew what they were making and, and I think on paper it's a, a fun concept. It's obviously like very of the time and the type of movies that were getting made. I don't think anybody thought they were making anything, you know, that well, was gonna- Maybe Christopher
0: Atkins did, but who knows. I yeah, am... right. Oh, <laughs> he's,
1: he's, he's, yeah, he's, he was trying to win some kind of an award. Uh, <laughs> I, he, he just, the montage, I, oh god, there's so much to say about him. I mean, of course, I'm sad that we never got a proper montage in the scene. There's, like, a, a montage missing when he yeah. flips the switch. Because they established early on in the movie that he and Shockman have this special bond. And so when Shockman has finally killed enough people that he cares about is when he goes into this, like, internalized revenge mode, mm-hmm. totally silent. And he, you know, we're we're missing the montage of him, kind of the evil dead... You know, where he makes the makeshift weapon, and he, like, duct tapes his arms, and he, like, slicks back his hair, and, like, we're we're missing that montage. But we do get the montage of, right before that, all his dead friends. He's, <laughs> He's yeah All his dead friends. And I was like, he kisses two of them on the lips. And I was thinking, like, man, what... How, like, we needed a montage where it was just him carrying all of them and then kissing them all on the lips. Especially the way uh, he was
0: carrying uh Ari Mears, uh uh Kim when, you know, because I, I will never forget when we're watching this in the theater and, you know, we don't know whether she survived or not. Right. And when he walks into the room and then suddenly the overly dramatic Casio keyboard music begins. Oh. And yeah. he is walking out with her limp body. I remember
1: our audience was like, "Oh,
2: yeah," because <laughs> we're like, uh, they uh, "Still did.
1: <laughs> Well, and I will say, I mean, those are some bold twists and turns. Like, you don't expect Amanda Wiss's character to die. You don't expect Harry Meyer's yeah. character to die. I mean, he's really, he's really the only. He's the last man standing. But the crazy thing is, is that like, if you really think about the movie. The way that he finally kills Shakma, he erases all the evidence. Yep. So let's assume that the cops show up at this building, and let's assume that he lives. We don't know. We it ends on that weird like, you know, I win with the stuffed monkey shot. <laughs> but let's assume he lives. He's totally getting blamed for all oh, these. Yeah, murders.
0: he's he's totally going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: There's like a we were really robbed of like a sequel to Shakma. Uh, where you know maybe Shakma comes back uh as a doctor and he's like a doctor Shakma, and he's trying to convince everyone that he 's actually a human being and he and he framed chris Rackins for the the murders like it 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 it's a real shame that we didn't get a whole Shakma franchise out of this. <laughs>
0: What we did get, though, is not only one of the most bonker films that you've ever shown at yeah. ad, uh, uh, just an absolute hoot and a blast. I mean, but it also gave us a battle cry thanks to the trailer. Yes, because the, tr- the first if if. if Listeners out there, I mean, if you've not watched this movie, if you have Shot Factory TV or Tubi, it's available on there right now. It's also
1: goodness. on Amazon Prime
0: as well. Yes. Oh, it yeah. is. Okay, so yes. it's on Amazon Prime as well. Please watch this film. It's hilarious. But also go watch the trailer also because the trailer not only makes this film seem like it's more important than it really is, yeah. but we get this great, shock. Yeah. That has all the bravado of America! Yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah.
1: You know? Somebody did a great some that somebody did a great montage on on YouTube of of uh Shockma Hates Doors, um <laughs> which we'll get into next oh, yeah. in its segue, <laughs> but but yeah, they edited together all the like Shockma It's like a very hair metal anthem scream. Um but essentially like you know, they're like, if you notice when you watch the movie a couple of times, there's there's hardly ever a shot where the actual real baboon, it was a Hamadryas baboon, not a Chakma baboon. There is an actual type of baboon called a Chakma, which is C-H-A-C-M-A, and I think that maybe, like, that's where they got the name from, but it's actually not even that kind of baboon. It's a Hamadryas baboon. Um, essentially, like, they had a real baboon, and then... And then they had, um, these two different puppet baboons. One of them was on this kind of bicycle handlebar thing. And so you, you only ever see half of it. Um, and then the other one had kind of a puppeteer in half of the suit. Um, and then they had like the Chakma puppet hand, uh, which is great because you can always tell it's a puppet hand. But when they're using the real animal, you can tell he's like super chill, right? Like I mean, he looks like a very friendly baboon, but they're trying to paint him as this vicious baboon. Um And then of course they insert shots like the one of the great shots in the movie is that that shot where the jaws are kind of over the the frame and it's like dripping blood. But he's yeah. never he's always like eating, you know, fruit or whatever when he's they cut to. He's munching
0: away on something. Like hey, what's up?
1: Right, because they essentially had – like, he wasn't really a a super trained baboon, um, and they got the performance by a lot of tricks. And so the few times you do see him going crazy in the movie is when he's going crazy on doors, which is where the Shockma Hates Doors thing. So there's, there's uh, a couple of conflicting reports on how they got the performance. One of them, and it's the one I like to believe in, is that they actually had – um a uh, a female baboon on the other side of the door a story. female baboon in key, and so whenever you watch Shakma, keep in mind that when he's going crazy on doors, he's got like a raging baboon boner, and he is trying to get through that very door, to get to this, which is very clear, which I think substantiates this claim um uh the baboon's name was Typhoon. Um, uh, he also played the baboon in the fly, um, uh, which is great. Um, but which, by uh, the way, which again, because he was very docile in that movie, yeah, too, exactly. So. Um, but then some people say that there was no female baboon; it was actually his trainer on the other side whispering his name, Typhoon, which angered him. I think that the the very visible baboon boner lends itself to the credibility of. He was this female baboon. Him. Yeah. Um, that said, I think they were lucky enough to get one baboon for this movie. I don't know if they could also get <laughs> two baboons. But uh, regardless, Shockma hates doors yes. in this movie. By the way, Shockma's real big downfall, like his weakness in this movie is doors. Like if everybody just stayed behind a door the entire time, like they would all be safe and they just waited yeah. out. No one would have died. Um, but also, I, I will say that a lot of these doors in this, uh, they shot um, on location at Universal Studios. So the,
0: wasn't it at Universal Orlando no, where they shot? Was it it a- was.
1: The interiors were and the exteriors were, like, you know, just some building. And, and you get the sense that, like, they shot on, like, a single-story building, and they just, like, replaced the, you know, placards on each door with, like, different floor numbers. But, um yeah, it, it, it's it's kind of like who's who's smarter than the than the door, the bathroom, <laughs> the humans. Um, but uh, there's like a line about the stairwell doors are too heavy for him, and the stairwell doors are like clearly not stairwell doors at all. Like you know, in buildings they have like the really heavy stairwell doors. Like it's um, and then you know they'll throw in like these weird like there's the technology room that they just establish this um, high-intensity light strobe that's supposed to blind him, and then it does nothing. 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 So really, all it is is, like, locks and a mop, and, like, they would have been <laughs> fun. Um And yet, like, they have what is seemingly somewhat advanced computer graphics in this kind of, like, Dungeons & Dragons kind of RPG game, and then they have these, like, transistor tracker things. Like... All of that felt very advanced for 1990. So, yeah. for a shot on video, you know. <laughs> I was but, like, wow, it was like
0: it's like, it like they had those little trackers and then they're playing the, the Commodore 128 game, right. uh, you
1: for, know. <laughs> for a prize of $5,800, which is like such a specific amount of money. Mm. Like it's not $5,000, it's not $10,000, it's $5,800. Uh so. which is a down payment for Amanda's car, so exactly yeah, yeah, um, but I mean, I will say it's you know it's it, it, obviously it's it's super fun, everybody is um you know there's some people that know the exact movie they're in. there's some people that uh are in their minds in a in a way more important movie, as you said, um it's got some great deaths and kills i mean there's there's points where Chakma gets really brutal uh
0: yeah he, yeah he's
1: ripping out throats and ripping off faces and there's an acid death and um you know i mentioned the the shot with the bloody fangs and he he does seem to be a cannibal monkey because he eats all the other monkeys yes. in the lab like the the chimpanzees and then it, at different times it shows him going back to the dead bodies of the students and like just seemingly eating their dead bodies like flesh so uh gary's death is great like it's it's just such a it's such a fun movie. Um and and I think probably like if you're somebody that's not super into genre movies, you know, like these kind of um uh a little bit more like wacky bonkers, you know, uh like um it's not a broad genre movie, you know, it's, it's definitely like a, a genre fans yep. genre movie. Um, I, I, I think that it's a good, like kind of gateway into those types of movies. Cause it's just so ridiculous. And, yeah. and, um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, I love it so much. Um, uh, even including, you know, the weird, uh, I, I think it's like, honestly, it is the, it is the, it is this, Dungeons and Dragons RPG game and like, Ari Meyer's weird, like, (laughs) child, child bride, like, princess on the top floor waiting for her (laughs) friend fair wedding with Chris Reck. It's like, all that stuff is like, what gives it kind of color and character? Um, but, uh, yeah. Especially when she comes running out eating the key lime pie, like, what? You didn't give the code word. And everyone's like, what the hell?
2: We're dying.
1: for her character, it's a very different movie. She's just, like, hanging out in her cool Rinfair child bride wedding dress, eating key lime pie on the top floor. Meanwhile, everyone else on the floor below, <laughs> below her is just getting married. like, murdered. Yeah. Um...
0: So, yeah, I have to say that after we watched this at AGFA, much to Chris's chagrin, the very next day I had to go to Movie Trading Company to see if it was even available on DVD or something. Cause I was yeah. like, I, I have to own this movie. Yeah. And I discovered that it was and I bought it immediately. And yeah. I was like, I don't care if it's not Blu-ray, if it's regular DVD. I don't care. I have to own this film. Yeah. Um, it, so much fun i I have a blast with it, yeah
1: it did have a it did have like a very brief theatrical run, which is why you know actually even had a print of it um and and really had its life on not that it was you know a huge hit, but it was released on v h s in nineteen ninety and then it got like a very like bare bones d v d released in um two thousand and seven i think, and then finally co read um Released it on Blu-ray in 2013, and and it's got some nice features. Like, it's got an interview with um, Tom Logan, who is is, uh, one of the directors. Um, He's one of those guys that has, like, you look him up on IMDb, and he has, like, 73 directing credits of movies you've never, ever heard of. (laughs) <laughs> um, he, he co-directed it with a guy named Hugh Parks. Um, all he's really, he like did five movies and he did this movie and that came out also in 1990 called Dream Trap, which was like Chrissy Swanson's first movie. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's got some good special features. There's some commentary on there with, um, with Tom Logan and David de, de Cocteau and, and, um, the crazy thing is if you find it, you're actually kind of lucky because they only made like, you know. Three thousand copies or something yeah. like that. So,
0: I I someone was actually selling it on eBay, but uh, seven hundred and forty dollars was a little steep for me. I know
1: book. it's, uh, you know, like I said, it, it's it's one of those movies that's kind of right. It's not too. Um, it's not too like. Uh, it, it, it's not so unknown. That it's like you know it's it's just infamous enough that it's that it's out there and enough people know about it, mm-hmm. um, you know. But it's not it's 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 certainly you know kind of one of those things that like it has its fandom and and now the DVD is and the Blu-rays are are out of print and there were so limited quantities so it does go you know. You know genre fans as well as, as I do and anyone else, you know, once these movies start to make their rounds, they become these kind of beloved gems of, of genre movies or, or more kind of subversive underground genre movies, I guess you would call them. Um, and, and they, you know, they become sought after and, and they become, especially because people, when they, when they, um, fall in love with these movies and, and, you know, react to them in these ways and cling to them you feel like you're kind of a special you're you're part of a special kind of club or community that that yeah. knows about these movies and and i think you know bring it full circle like that is what actfa was about it was like it was like widening that community and and still understanding that like the fact that these movies were subversive and underground is what made them special and that they weren't you know, celebrated or even seen in their day that, that, you know, there's a group of people that know about them, but also like trying to get them out there to the masses. Cause like we need, we need movies like this. Like I would rather watch a movie like Shockma, which is one of my most memorable movie going experiences of watching it with a theater full of people versus some kind of mediocre movie that came and went, you know, over a weekend. Like there's a reason that, you know, notoriously like, I I don't like to call movies, like, they're so bad they're good. I think that a lot of these movies, the reason that they are so good is because they were made in earnestness or, you know, they were made in a kind of wacky way that the story behind the movie is as crazy as the movie itself. Um, You know, you think of, of course, you know, Troll 2 or Man of Sands of Fate, like, being the kind of... Gold standard for those type of genre movies, but each of these movies has a story, um, and they all deserve to be seen. And so I think the fact that they, you know, they, if, if a movie's job is to entertain and a movie strikes you in a way, it, you know, and you're still t- talking about it and thinking about it, like the movie did its job. And, and that's I think that yeah. that's what ACFA was all about. I think that's what Alamo was all about was, celebrating all kinds of movies and, and, uh, you know, I think Shockma is certainly a movie that deserves to be celebrated for sure. Definitely. And
0: I never got a chance to not only thank you for introducing this movie properly to my life, but thank you for everything that you've also done with the oh. because yeah, thank I, you. Yeah, there's a lot of great films that I've discovered. Some of them we've watched on this show. Uh, I mean, not only with this one, but also slumber, uh, but also Summer Camp Nightmare, uh, yeah. which I I knew about right away the minute I heard that title. I was like, Oh yeah, my god! Exactly. My reaction wasn't Oh my god, excitement. My yeah. reaction was Oh my god, there's a 35 millimeter print of this.
1: <laughs> I, know. I always felt I always felt great when I would announce a title because you were usually one of the handful of people that had like at least heard of the movie, if not seen it, and and you know would would cheer out loud. But I always it was also like always like. I wonder if I can finally like stump Roy. Like I wonder if I can finally get a movie no, that he did. hasn't. Yeah. yeah. I like, had to dig. I had to dig deep in there though. I had to reach down deep uh, in the archive to to do I, that. But I think yeah.
0: the one that you stumped me on the most, and uh, I'm actually glad to know that this is. I don't know if it's out yet, but I know it's coming out on home video. We're grabbing it because it was just so God. What the hell was. Uh, the the rats are coming. The werewolves are here.
1: Oh God! Yeah, Milligan <laughs> and Milligan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that was man. That was one that like I have such fond feelings about that movie because I mean the the first time I got my hands on the the proper you know Agfa catalog list, um, like that title stuck out to me. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it was one that I had wanted to program for the longest time. And it was like, I know one day it'll be kind of right place, right time. And, and finally, you know, the month came where I programmed it and, you know, it was one of those divisive ones for sure. Like, it, it seems like, um, you know, we'd have movies like Shockma that were overwhelmingly like the, you know, majority of the audience loved them because it's just like how could you not like you know there's like it would be very hard to hate a movie like Shakma because it's just so like you just have to give yourself over to it like it's just so ridiculous and fun but you know definitely like some more challenging movies um certainly you know Andy Milligan was a a a challenging filmmaker um uh another one that comes to mind is Andy Warhol's uh Blood for Dracula um yeah. Which being a
0: Actually, I mean, I, I, I have a hard time watching Flesh for Frankenstein because it's just way over the top. But yeah. Blood for Dracula, I got a bang out of it. And that's mainly because of Udo Kier. He just right. he sold it in that yeah. movie. He
1: really did. Well, and those movies were of a 60s, 70s counterculture. You know, Andy Milligan and Andy Warhol, like being two directors of this kind of very very subversive counterculture uh, filmmaking uh, movement and uh, that, that, you know, they were almost making these movies to make people uncomfortable. Um So, you know, and, and Agfa wasn't just about movies that I knew would be, you know, big audience favorites, you know, it was about trying to expose people to all different types of movies and, and knowing, you know, to a degree that like, I had a captive audience, you know, um and and you guys trusted me and and to try and broaden the horizons of of, you know, even if you hated a movie, you knew you were going to at least walk away seeing something that you wouldn't forget. You know what I mean? Um so you know, it was really always such a mixed bag of movies and and you know, I always knew like there's no way um, we're, we're going to please everybody and, and they can't always be chakma. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I really tried to always curate it where, it, where it flowed and, and, um, and so, uh, yeah, that movie rats are coming werewolves are here is, is, you know, that was a, that was that was a, people loved it though. I mean, you know, that was the thing is like, as challenging as we got, like, uh, just when I would think like, oh, I've gone too far. You know what I mean? Like, people, like, uh, there's a lot of times where, where we have a bigger audience the next month. You know what I mean? Like, I think that, uh, people at least always appreciated the movie for what it was. Um certainly things that I think people weren't, you know, not everyone is me or you. You know what I mean? Like, uh this this really was a source for these movies for people and and hopefully that it it helped them start to seek them out on their own but uh you know i will say like feather in the cap we got very very few complaints like you know we got very few and we were showing some i i certainly drew the line like i i i i got to the point where you know anything that had any kind of sexual assaults or or any you know there's there's such a fine line in some of these movies of course you have to recognize that they were made in a different time and 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 um it's all about filmmaker intent and and a lot of those movies were exploitation movies and inherently in the exploitation genre they are trying to be shocking and subversive to say something about those things but i have to also understand that it's a it's people trusting, uh, you know, trusting um, the programming and trusting that it it's a mystery movie and, and that maybe that's not a movie they would have chose to see on their own. I, I think Rats Are Coming is a perfect example that, you know, we did get one complaint on that movie where somebody, their thing was just animals in movies. And there's some animal cruelty stuff in that, of course. <laughs> it's a very different... <laughs> time period of making movies uh i don't think that movie carried the the um you know the the disclaimer at the end of the credits that said no animals were harmed in the making of this movie i don't think
0: can get away with saying that with that
1: one (laughs) yeah and this person was just very she's you know that she said uh hey i love everything you've shown and i can stomach a lot of stuff but that's just my thing and so i think over the the series you know i started to look at those, those things and, and have some hard lines at stuff. And if not, you know, I try to always be really upfront with people and, and that's a fine line in itself because you, you know, I want to stand by anything I'm programming, of course. Like I don't want to show something and feel like I'm having to defend it, but at the same time, like trying to give people somewhat of a, you know, uh, a prep on what they're going into and that it may be a hard watch. Um, but I, you know, I look back and like, I think there's maybe only one movie I don't stand by. Um, everything else, but again, nobody ever really, you know, nobody ever, everyone was always very respectful and just voiced their opinion, which is exactly what I would have always wanted. Um, but nobody was ever, you know, upset outside of the guy. Who came to Raw Force? Uh, mm-hmm. Raw Force being the movie that you already kind of noted was our was our first kind of true like act. To the really screening. dive into
0: it, yeah, which yeah. honestly was a great one to dive with. Anyway, I got yeah. to Raw Force, but
1: yeah, know. he um, he said if I wanted to watch cheap Asian porn, I would watch it uh, I would watch it at home alone instead of in a theater full of people. Which, uh, to me really captures what ACFA was, because, one, for the record, Raw Force is not cheap Asian porn. Definitely
0: not that. <laughs> no,
1: but, uh, the fact that this guy had, like, no problem watching cheap Asian porn, he just wanted, he felt more comfortable doing it, uh, alone, uh, at home. But, um, but yeah, that's one of my favorite pieces of feedback we ever got. But, you know, I, like, I appreciate the thank you, and I have to say thank you back, because. You know, it it wouldn't have been what it was without the community. As much as it was about what we were showing on screen and and this collection of mu- movies we were curating, it was as much about the community. Like, if if that community wasn't what it was, and those and those people didn't take to the movies, and they weren't trusting, and they weren't open to um, seeing this kind of underground of genre cinema from from many different decades, from all over the world uh of filmmakers that were trying to do something different and say something different um it wouldn't have been what it was you know it would have been me in a theater by myself watching these movies and what is that experience then you know what i mean these movies are an experience because we all experience them together as a group and so many of these like shakma were what they were because of that collective community experience of watching these movies so the fact that you guys were so trusting of me and us, um, you know, all those years and, the, and that you showed up month after month and it became this community where we were hanging out in the lobby talking about the movie, um, you know, in some senses longer than the runtime of the movie. And, and a lot of those movies like rats are coming, werewolves are here, the more kind of challenging, subversive movies, like were the ones where people were hanging out talking about them more. And like that to me, you know, was, was, equally as huge of a a part of this whole series so i mean thank you in return and especially to you and chris like you guys were like i said so supportive all along and and to the point that you got married at alamo um and i always love seeing like the ones that you responded to because you very rarely both loved a movie like either one of you would love it and one of you would hate it or vice versa and i always knew that i really picked a good one when i like won you know, uh, when I, <laughs> when I won Chris over, um, so, yeah.
0: Now, before I do let you go, I did yes. subject you, I guess my own way of doing AGFA, to yes. something where honestly, I honestly could see this being done at AGFA, because this one screams that. it. Um, and I subjected it to Andy also because it's Halloween, and this is something that I feel needs to be seen by everybody just to believe it exists. Uh, and it's the Paul Lynde Halloween special from nineteen seven. I want to say nineteen seventy-five or seventy. What year did this come out in? It was uh, nineteen seventy-six. Yeah. So um, yeah, Paul Lynde from Hollywood Squares and uh, Bewitched.
1: Century Square.
0: Yes, he did. He did a lot of uh, variety specials when variety specials were huge back in the seventies and the early eighties, and. This one was missing for years, uh, and it became kind of a holy grail for KISS fans because this was television's debut of the rock band KISS, Um, and even though it is not a Sid and Marty Croft production, you would swear it is because of all of the people that are connected with Sid and Marty Kroff that was involved, like Billy Hayes' witchy poo from H.R. and <laughs> stuff, Billy Barty, Donnie Marie Osmond. I mean, it was almost like a Sid and Marty Croft production.
1: Yeah, Tim Conway was in there. Yeah. Uh, Florence Henderson, Betty White. You know, it was in true 70s TV special, you know, holiday TV special fashion. It was like such a who's who of like 70s you know, TV, movie, and music icons. Um, And then you
0: have Pinky Tuscadero from Happy Days, which got, like, top billing, and I'm like, wait! (laughs) Is there anybody who actually, besides myself, remember who Pinky Tuscadero is? Right, yeah. So, um... Yeah. was this I, your first time watching
1: this? Absolutely. And I will say two things. One, I don't think I've ever watch, watched a more um, Roy Buckingham-esque <laughs> Like when I imagine what it, what is happening in your brain, it is the Paul End Halloween special. Um and I <laughs> I just when I thought like there couldn't be something like more glittery and flamboyant than <laughs> Colin's actual Halloween parties. Um, he gave us this. I I loved it. I love. Um, you know, I was. This is definitely before my time. I was. I was born in eighty four, but you know, I the I still grew up in the era of of the kind of holiday TV special and 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 you know certainly was a fan of of everything from of course you know the like notorious Star Wars Christmas special to like. It, it, these were such these kind of like vaudevillian, like variety shows that it's, it's so shocking to me that we don't still have them, or at least, um, of course, you know, TV is so different now yeah. with streaming, but like we've seen this crazy kind of renaissance in game shows, uh, recently and, and I would, I would be not very surprised if we saw something like this make a comeback, especially as we have now these kind of like, you know, the kind of, um, uh, like, I know you're a huge fan of like the mass singer and, and there's, there's like dancing with the stars. They're like kind of hybrid game shows, hybrid, you know, celebrity variety shows. Like, I guess maybe those are the modern day versions of, of, of these old, you know, classic ones, but, um, man, the whole time I was watching this, I was like, we really need, like, a modern version of this, especially because, like, you gotta give it to them. Like, I love that the whole, you know, I've loved Halloween my entire life. I've, I get so kind of beautifully painfully nostalgic about halloween from childhood um and this gave me such a even though i didn't grow up in the 70s like just to see halloween from that era and see halloween celebrated in this way and, and see something that like had a lot of kind of like darkly humorous jokes and pointed to a lot of like kind of um you know 70s era kind of like um horror pop culture things and um you know I don't I loved it I I just think you know uh and it's still like there's still some really funny jokes like um I love the joke up top where he says there's a real scary holiday coming up election day is great <laughs> um Florence of Arabia uh made me laugh out loud uh sound of music uh as when he, when he names his favorite horror film like there's <laughs> there's some really great jokes in there that feel like kind of subversive and then of course you know if you know about Paul Lynn's life like uh there's some very dark stuff in there he was he was a, as a actor obsessed with this idea that he was never he never got his kind of due credit you know mm-hmm. he he had this big presence but he always felt that he should have been bigger than he actually was um as great as he was but there's there's you know when he grew up like this like heavy set kid, which informed a lot of his comedy, and like, yeah. and he was tormented, very like, very very like by his parents and like you know all this stuff as a kid. Like he had a very hard upbringing and he was heavily into to drugs and alcohol and 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 got sober and clean and then it caught up with him and he passed away like, you know, right, at exactly. a way too right. early age. So there's a lot of like kind of dark stuff in it. Once you know, you know at the time people didn't know that, and of course he was you know uh it, it, you know it just his his personal life and and the the death and the murder you know uh the true crime element to his life and like it's man it, it there all of that is kind of in there which is yeah. kind of
0: crazy I mean, like when he made the joke about you know how his uh kids how his the rest of his family would go to the five and dime and get the halloween costumes and yeah. his, his mom would use the shower curtain and had yeah. to take it out cuz it wasn't enough i mean yeah.
1: I yeah, mean, a, they, you know, they always say, darkness yeah. To, yeah. they say that, you know, comedy comes out of tragedy and, and it's certainly there. And I, I think he was kind of this, he certainly was this dark, tormented figure, especially having to be, he's very obviously this kind of, you know, just beautiful, flamboyant, like, you know, entertainer. And that's what he was known for. Um, but having to be, you know, closeted and not be himself. And even though it was kind of like, not really like the best kept secret in Hollywood like
0: it's just it was the not kept, it was not the best kept secret yet at the same time it seemed like no one cared honestly right.
1: at the time right yeah but he still felt like he couldn't be you know his true self and and that's that's so sad and it's so sad to see like cuz he was so great like i remember growing up as a kid watching Bewitched and i was always so drawn to uncle arthur and and he really was an icon and i think he was an icon for for you know just like i think he's looked at as even though he wasn't able to be fully out and himself and i think that manifested itself in a lot of the ways where he internalized it and and had a lot of kind of darkness and demons like he really was such a icon and and i think he was really like a groundbreaker and and paved the way for a lot of uh you know like entertainers today cuz he did it all he could do it all and he was so funny and he was so quick-witted and and just there was nobody like him like it's no it's no surprise that like he had his own Halloween TV special but I think it's just so him and I think it's just very like the fact they got away with some of that stuff on network TV and like you know um like what other what other like network TV thing had Kiss alongside Margaret Hamilton, Betty White, and Florence Henderson. Exactly, where yeah. Where Paul Lind is making these kind of, like, backhanded, you know, sex jokes, like, uh, the I whole time. At
0: one point, because of how how cold Florence Henderson's character was, he called her a Westinghouse frigid heiress <laughs> and, which I think is a great joke. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's so bizarre because you've got, you know, you've got Kiss performing to... Detroit Rock City and then which, Beth,
1: which like could not be more obvious that they're lip syncing. Like, yeah, let's let's like for <laughs> you know for the Beatles having the debut they had on American television, Kiss's debut on American television on the Paul and Halloween special was certainly not that. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> and then you know you go from that and you go from Beth and then you go to Florence Henderson performing a disco version of that old Black Magic.
1: Which oh God, just, yeah,
0: just kills me every time I see it.
1: I want to beat, man, I want to, you know, when the when the big blinking neon bat comes down and Pauline comes out in that (laughs) glittery, like, black tuxedo with the orange shirt, I'm just like, this is the Halloween party, like, I want to be at. Like, I, you know, it just seemed like fun. Like, it seemed like they were having fun, and, of course, it's the, you know, wild and crazy 70s, who even knows what was going on behind the scenes of that thing, especially with, you know, Pauline being the, the party where he was, um... I wonder if he was, I know he got sober, like, within probably the last 10 years of his life, so I almost wonder if he was sober at this point. Um,
0: I don't think he became sober until, um, I think it was right after um, the end of the of the Donnie and Marie Osmond show, because uh, cause he used to be a, a regular on that show also, Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, of course, you know, it, Donnie Marie Osmond being, you know, Mormon, as you know, of course, they yeah. don't drink alcohol yeah. or anything like that. But if I remember if I remember reading right, that there was an incident that happened uh, in Utah that basically convinced I think it was either 78 or 79 that basically convinced him, OK, it's time for me to get my life back together. Yeah. And it, it, it took him a while but yeah within the 80s shortly before he died he did
1: yeah we're getting a um there's a there's you know he he certainly deserves his story to be told and and you know such yeah, a ah i saw a, billy it was a billy eichner
0: who's doing that billy
1: Ice, who's could not be more perfect he's really a you know he's kind of he's really our today's you know paul lind um i would say like he certainly has a lot of the same presence and and you know, I think is Paulin would not be surprised to hear as, you know Billy Agner's you know biggest hero and biggest inspiration. But I I I um I think it's it's uh, I think it's called like man in the man in the box, um, in the box. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, you know, he he really like like I said, he was really like such a you know early like LBGTQ figure, and and you know, I think again like kind of what I was saying about some of these movies, you have to look at him in the context of his time and, and what he was able to do and who he was able to be in that time in, in the seventies, you know, I can't imagine, but the fact that he was such a household name and he was so, he was in all this, uh, you know, family friendly stuff and people loved him so much. Like I, I you know, I, I think um and, you know, again, if you know anything about his backstory um knowing that a lot of that comedy and that that you know driving desire to be in the spotlight and entertain people like that drove him and and the ways that it was kind of an angel on one shoulder and a demon on the other like I've just I'm I'm you know I, I I thought it was just like such a great watch and I'm really glad that you had me watch it and and I think that there's like as fun and and you know wacky as it is like i think that there's like actually some stuff that you can really like pull out of it um in an interesting way if you see it in the context of the time and i wouldn't be surprised if like it's a part of that biopic you know Um, i'm
0: surprised if it is also because i mean i I remember reading up on it that even though it was lost for years it was a giant hit yeah i mean i'm pretty sure they're gonna you know you know, not only touch on this, but also touch on the Donnie Marie Osmond era. I'm curious to see who they're going to get to play Donnie Marie Osmond, to be honest Oh, I you.
1: know. Maybe just getting them to... Maybe they'll just... <laughs> uh, maybe they'll just De Niro de-age them.
0: That's <laughs> why I heard they were making his biopic. I was like, okay, who are they going to get to play Donnie Marie Osmond? And because of his involvement with Bye Bye Birdie, who's going to
2: play Dick Van Dyke?
0: Oh my god, like, yeah, I know. But, uh, yeah, I... It's the, I, I, re, I was not old enough... Yeah, I was, like, probably three. No, yeah. not that. I was two when this aired. Yes. And it only aired once, so I never saw this. And yeah. I only, knowing of Paul Lin, was, of course, through not only the Hollywood Squares, but watching reruns of Bewitched also. Yeah. yeah. And, and so when this finally got found and they restored it as best as they could and released it on home video, I was like, okay, I'm, I need to see this. And instantly fell in love with it. I was like, God, this this if you wanted a pure example of Paul Lin,
1: yeah, this is it? This is yeah. it here. Yeah, I mean, it really is. It's so much him, and 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 you can tell it's 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 got his signature all over it. And and again, like you know, I'm I'm some of this stuff in there, like you know, for the seventies, like I'm I'm really you know, it's it's uh it's it's surprising that they got away with some of this stuff but i think it was so subversive and people looked at things so differently back then and people were so kind of ignorant to things you know people chose to sweep things under the rug and ignore them that like that you had a figure like paul lind that kind of snuck in in a way and was in you know millions of homes across america when there were only a handful of of TV channels and and you know was essentially like one of the first i think kind of you know even though people didn't know at the time and he, and he wasn't out at, at the time and he wasn't portrayed to be you know LGBTQ like he was really a lot of people's probably first experience seeing a, a you know a gay person a gay like actor and 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 playing you know characters that were so of himself which like okay which yeah we've come a long way and we still have a long way to go for representation i think in movies across many many different categories but i think it's all steps you know what i mean and i think for the 70s Pauline was super important in that way and i think that like you have to look at his halloween special as a part of that like i think that you know whether it was whether it was conscious or subconscious i think there's a lot of great like stuff in there that's kind of subtextual to it um but uh yeah man thank you for 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 making me watch it i i uh it was yeah. something i would have sat down and watched on my own but i i loved it but I, I think you know in talking about it beyond you know all the wacky you know zany stuff and the fact that a song like i'm just crazy for kids today probably <laughs> is something that wouldn't hold up today um <laughs> you know i was really struck by it you know all the kind of um you know all the kind of stuff that was there behind the scenes under the surface but uh but I loved it I mean even if people just watch it for what it is on the surface it's so great
0: Awesome Yeah Well thank you so much for coming on the show here as yeah, well man. I mean um and uh all right before we go to the, the 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 second half where I talk with Andy here here's your chance to pimp yourself out here uh yeah. Yeah, where can people find you um, if, if they're not in the DFW area? Where can if people where can people find you online or whatever?
1: Um, I don't really. I got off Twitter uh, a long time ago, and I, <laughs> I have I'm better for it. Um, I, I have a better, happier, healthier life not being on Twitter. Um, uh, Instagram, you know, Instagram is great. Uh, at James underscore Wallace, uh, you know. I'm on there, of course, so people can find me on there. Um, Facebook, of course, uh, which I know is not one that people throw out a lot because it's, <laughs> it's now kind of like the old person's social media. But, use, you know, use Facebook in a similar way where it gives you a longer form uh, to kind of, you know, go into, you know, if, if you use it to talk about movies, which I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Facebook, people can find me on there. But, um, uh, yeah, so... Those are probably the two easiest places. And, and I'm out there in many other ways, as, as you, as you said, uh, between my own podcasts with Creepshow Show and, and, and other things. So, uh, uh of course, that whole first season for the first season of Creepshow is, is up and, um, uh, there's yeah, a actually,
2: show, there's yeah, a creep show
1: animated Halloween special coming out. So, uh, just, yeah,
0: are you going to be doing the podcast on that one also, or do you know, you, or
1: you uh, I'm you I'm, I'm keeping my uh, I'm keeping my creeps lipped closed right now. <laughs> uh, but uh yeah, there is a creep show Halloween special coming out. So maybe you look for uh you know some kind of companion. Halloween special to come out with that in in a podcast form. I don't know. We'll see. Who knows? I, but I
0: got to admit with that Creepshow Halloween special when I saw that one of the two that they're doing is survivor type, I went, "Thank God I finally get to see this one, you know, fleshed out in the story form." And at the same time I got horrified <laughs> because of no one's ever read his short story survivor type. Yeah. Yeah. It's disturbing as hell. You, yeah. you, you he was on cocaine when he wrote Survivor Type. Yeah. Just say that.
1: You could only you could almost only do it in animated form. And yeah. and you know, that's that's really kind of a perfect segue because you know, alongside the these big kind of celebrity Filled, you know, Halloween TV specials that we used to get. We used to get great, like animated Halloween specials on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that they're kind of doing this, like harkening back to that with Creep Show. Of course, you know, they they they've resumed production on season two, which, which they remember. announced. Um, but I love that in the meantime, like you know, the the animated bits, the interstitial animated bits of this new um, Creep Show. Uh, y- you know. Um, uh, kind of, I wouldn't call it a, a reboot, but of course, if you haven't watched it, um, Shutter, kind of resurrected creep show in a series form, um, very much the Tales from the Crypt kind of yeah. throwback to the comics, EC Comics, um, very creep show in its you know in its conception with the comic um, interstitial stuff, but they're all animated, and so each episode has two stories, but it has these kind of bookend chapter animated things with, with the creep. And so they're doing an all animated Halloween special, which I think is, you know, is, is, you know, that show, it was, was the highest watched thing for shutter at the time, but it had this whole second life when it was so big and AMC who owns shutter and AMC, you know, between the walking dead and history of horror and some of the other horror stuff they've done they started rerunning Creepshow from Shutter, and so it it had this whole second life with a new audience that was almost equally as big as the Shutter audience that watched it the first time. So I love that they're, you know, making use of this downtime while they shoot season two to do an, an old school animated special, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I mean,
0: I, I I mean we've we went ad nauseum on this show about our love for Shutter, and um, I mean, I. Watched Creep Show the whole entire thing, you know, season one when it was on Shudder, but I, I even bought it when it came out on Blu-ray because I just loved what they did with it so much. And I I cannot wait for season two. Yeah. That teaser photo that they released of that giant ass spider. I was like, I'm sold.
2: Let's go. I know.
1: I know (laughs) know exactly. Anything with a giant ass spider. But yeah, all that to say, our, our, our Fangoria Shudder Creep Show show was kind of a companion podcast after show, if you will. It was like a, you know, a Talking Dead a la Walking Dead for, you know, show and Lovecraft, and,
0: uh, Lovecraft Radio and stuff like that. Yeah,
1: which is, you know, is such a I love that. I love that we're in in this era of those and HBO has been doing a great job. They did one for Chernobyl. They do it for all their shows. They did one after yeah. Talking Dead took off. Um, you know, a a lot of networks saw the value in that. And so, um, so that's what, that's what creep show show is. And, and, um, and, you know, it helps that they, they drop them, you know, one a week. Um, it, it, it would be hard to do an after show for something where, you know, um, a network drops it all at once, um, because people watch it and they're done with it. But to be able to kind of have two stories a week and, and be able to really like dig into them and peel back the layers and talk about them and get excited for the next week like that old school appointment television. Yep. Um, I think you know. I think it works with certain series, and I think you know other series like you know Haunting a Bly Manor as great as that would be to have a companion show with it. Like that is a series that I want to like. I want to watch. That's one, yeah, the all the way through. You just want like,
0: through, but with, yeah. yeah, but something like Creed Show. I want to keep coming back. I want. I want to wait. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. that's the way that they did that. It, it's, and the Mandalorian is the same way. I want to savor yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah either they're doing a, those shows that way too. Yeah. For sure. All right, man. Well, thank you so much again for appearing with us. And when we come back, listeners, I will have Mr. Farmer with me, and got him dying to hear his reaction to this film. So it's going to be
1: probably the opposite of mine.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, who knows? He surprised me sometimes. So we'll see. All right, be right back, gang. Ladies
1: and gentlemen, the beautiful, the talented, <laughs> Lord Henderson! <laughs>
0: Well, welcome to the second half of our show, and now we're being uh, joined by Mr. Farmer here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, in the first half of the show, uh, James and I were waxing poetic about our connection with this movie, Shockma and everything else, and uh, talked a little bit about Paul Lind here and there. So this is this your first time watching both of our subjects on this show? It is,
2: yeah. This is this is the first time I've seen either uh, Chakma or um, DePaul Paul Lin. Now I love variety shows, so this it was it was surprising to me that this one made it. And I might have seen it well in the past, mm-hmm. you know, and have no recollection. But for the most, this is the first time I can remember watching it. Let's put it that way.
0: Okay. Well, which of the two would you like to discuss first?
2: I think that we have to, we have to talk about Shockma first and then we can, <laughs> you can go back to Paul Lind because Paul Lind leaves me with happy feelings and I'm not, still not real sure what Shockma leaves me with. <laughs> so we'll start, we'll start with, uh, we'll start with, uh, Paul Lind, um, or not, we'll start with Shockma, and then we'll come back to Paul Lind. Got it.
0: Alrighty, so. Um, God, how, let's just dive on in. Your, your, your initial thought on Shakma?
2: I don't even, I don't even know. It was like, it was, it was two movies, right? It, to, to, to me, the, the movies, the movies were, uh, Shakma, and then, um, I don't know, the slowest shit I can imagine. Like, it, that, for me, that's what this movie was. It was like, anytime Shockma was on screen, it was, it was crazy fast-paced, like, insane, out of, you know, uh, just like, fast-forward sh- Shockma time. And then the rest of the movie, whether it was not Topanga waiting in the top of the tower, or, um <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's her name. <laughs> or, uh, what was, uh, what was the name of the guy, Oh God, uh, the, the, the guy who might as well have been saying they're coming to get you Barbara the whole time? Um, the, the nerd?
0: Oh, Sir, Sir, Sir Daniel, Sir or what was his name? It was, uh, was it Richard? It was
2: Richard, wasn't it?
0: I'm trying to remember. What the hell was... I, I, it's like I've totally forgotten. We were just talking
2: about him I in the last minute. I think Richard was the... Sir Bradley. Uh, oh, was it Sir Bradley? Okay. okay. Yeah. Yes, you know.
0: I've got the clue, and now I'm going to test it out on Merlin and get my reward. Yeah, that guy. The gay, that not guy. gay guy, yeah.
2: The, the um... The villain of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know, if, if we want to talk about criminal negligence, let's just start with Roddy McDowell and work our oh, way yeah. down. Good God, man. Good God. No, but how did they piss that monkey off so much? That's what I want to know. You said you oh. had insight on how they pissed that monkey off so much. Yes, and we were
0: actually talking about it, actually, in the last segment. So Okay. It lied uh, there, to me. There is one of two theories. Uh, the first theory is is that the actual owner of the baboon... Uh, by the way, this was the same baboon that was in the fly. Okay. Uh, so,
2: mad as hell.
0: Yeah. He's super so mad. The, the theories are that <laughs> to, in order to get him to beat on the doors like he did in this yeah. film, was that it, theory number one is that the owner was actually on... The other side of the door, and kind of like freakishly saying the name of the baboon, okay. and it caused the baboon to just go nuts and bang on the door. Okay. James and I don't agree with this theory. We agree with theory number two. Okay. And we'll explain. And I'll explain why in a minute. Theory number two is is that there was a baboon in heat on the other side oh.
2: of. Oh.
0: And so he was trying to break through to get him some. And here's the reason why we feel it is theory number 2 because we don't know if you've noticed Shockma's Shockma in
2: the movie. <laughs> yes. Yes.
0: But yes. He's, he's got a raging boner in many parts of this movie. So
2: it's funny you say that cuz in my mind anytime uh, Shockma got to uh got to shock got to uh doing what I refer I told you I thought was the uh the ultimate warrior ring entrance <laughs> where <laughs> From the first scene where they thought they killed him to to the last scene in the movie where he has the Predator standoff with uh for Adkins. uh uh-huh. uh-huh. The Chris Adkins or he, st- he stabs him and like, come on like <laughs> stupid shit. Um Like any time that monkey started going, I heard uh Black Betty by Ram Jam in my head. <laughs> and he's just like wrecking a room just my favorite scene in the whole movie is where he's alone in the laboratory room just wrecking shit just throwing beakers (laughs) just ripping doors off of things just yeah yeah it was kind of cathartic watching this movie after a fashion it just I wish they would have kept the pace the entire time like Uh, it's time where Shockma was like going buck wild like it was super fast paced. Any time that they were trying to either evade Shakma or hunt Shakma, it was just molasses. Mm-hmm. That was my problem with it. If it would have kept the pace, it would have been awesome. Also, now, uh, the game now James, James and
0: I feel that the movie could have used a montage uh, when Christopher Atkins snaps. Oh and,
2: yeah, I agree.
0: And that would. We, we were we were denied a Bruce Willis Die Hard montage at that point.
2: Yeah, like a like a Rocky running on the beach training montage is what yeah. I was, I've seen. Like him tying a headband on, uh, <laughs> looking for car batteries and uh, you know, making like going full native, like uh like making spears, like like Predator, <laughs> like Predator. This movie was Predator. That's all this movie was. <laughs> was Predator. The only turn I didn't see coming was uh, was Amanda Weiss and Christopher Adkins' relationship. I did yes. not see that coming because I'm not sure that that's the way that Christopher Adkins swings. But, <laughs> but hey, it was I, there. I like the
0: fact that they were trying to convince us that Chris Atkins was in his early 20s when the crow's feet is saying otherwise.
2: Oh, a lot of things. Hairline, crow's feet. Um, them jeans. like, come on, <laughs> seriously, like, like, you are the same age as Rodney McDowell in this film. <laughs> Who are you lying to? Well, I'm, I'm glad that you got to cover a lot of, uh, a lot of kind of the ins and outs of the movie in the first half. And again, sorry, I missed it. But, um, it was, this was a hard one to get through. Mm. And, and it wasn't hard to get through because it was worse than some of the ones we've watched. Again, it was just like, the pacing would lull you into, a, like, 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 lull you into this like weird false sense of security and then here comes Chakma. Whoa, Black Panty! Bamba bam, And he's just ripping on doors and in the vents and like making a, making a pipe bomb. Like, what are you doing, Chakma? <laughs> Now, if uh, have you seen the trailer for this yet? Out of curiosity, I watched the trailer. Yes. Okay. There's
0: two different trailers out your out there. Did you see the one where at the end you got the guy all heavy metal shouting SHOTMA! at the end? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's this great series. <laughs> there's this great series of fan videos uh, online uh, where someone <laughs> has taken the scenes where Shockma comes running out of nowhere, all angry, like, yeah. and whenever that happens you all of a sudden hear the guy going, Shockma! And the best use of it is in the death of Amanda Weiss, because every every time he appears on the screen, it's,
2: (laughs) Shockma! My favorite, I love Shockma banging on doors. My favorite scene in the whole movie was him wrecking that lab. Just apropos of nothing. Just Shockma wrecking a lab. Like, we need some B-footage, throw him in that lab, piss him off. Just let him wreck it. But my favorite thing that Shakma does is run down a hallway, stop, and inevitably look up and to the right with this, uh, th- the closest a baboon's face can get to Ho, oh, don't do it.
0: <laughs>
2: Just like, mm mm, what is that? Mmm. <laughs> Just take off. It was great. It was great. Um, also, uh, what was, uh, Richard was the, uh, was the, the, the meathead jock guy, right? Yes. Yeah, that yeah. Just... Oh man, yeah. This movie, and let alone the fact that it revolves around a a a uh, a live a LARP, a live action role playing game, <laughs> at which time they brought a guy's younger sister in and made her the princess and made her stay in the top of this laboratory. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and like when all of it's all going on, and they're like desperately looking to make sure she's alive, she comes stumbling in with a slice of key lime pie. Like
2: what? Yeah, she doesn't know. They, they, well, again, another criminal, ne- criminally negligent thing that Roddy McDowell did was cut off like half of the place. Like, like you know, lock a bunch of doors so you can't get out, and then uh, stick somebody up top that is no way of communicating with anyone. <laughs> Like you yeah. can't go further without this weird computer program that we wrote. <laughs> it's a weird movie. It's That's... it's Mazes and Monsters meets Predator meets <laughs> uh Cujo. Yeah,
0: and what do you what did you think of that Commodore Amiga uh video game that they were the software that they were using for this game?
2: I wanna know why they put it in a blanket fort. That's what I wanna know. They they hid it <laughs> inside of a blanket fort. Um Was the game's sole purpose to give the answer to one question?
0: I don't know. It was never really explained. All we know is is that this medical teacher felt it was a great idea to have um, Christopher... I mean, it's implied that Christopher Atkins came up with the game and thought it was a great idea to uh, have Christopher Atkins talk him into utilizing this um, lab that's filled with live, wild animals (laughs) for a LARPing game. And, I mean, even though the meat jockhead guy is the meat jockhead guy, he did say something smart and intelligent when, you know, he was setting everything up and he was like, well, I wanted to leave the lights on in the lab with the animals and the electrical stuff because, you know, safety reasons. And Roddy McDowell's like, oh no, those are supposed to be the caverns. It's supposed to be dark and mysterious. Yeah. (laughs) Just like, okay, Osha is not gonna like this.
2: No asses will be in seats for the 25 minutes of the movie at which Not Topanga throws forks at a 1986 Camaro.
0: (laughs) I know, just like, okay, how am I gonna get her attention? I'll throw forks. Through this, (laughs) through this
2: uh, metal slatted window. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) It was, it was, it it was, it was well worth watching. I'll say that. it was well worth watching, because seeing Shockma lose his mind every 15 to 20 minutes brought me much joy. And the final, and the final uh, the final uh, predator standoff was fantastic. Oh, Chris, oh,
0: oh yeah, Christopher Adkins showing his male dominance to Shakma..
2: Is... arm wrapped up with a bite sleeve. And then a spear, and uh he worked up some traps, like,
1: yes.
0: so um James and I were talking about this, and I wanted to throw this at you also because so no one no one apparently survived this this ordeal nope. whatsoever, uh, which by the way, when the topanga character, when it's revealed that she was killed by Shakma. Oh, you when he have. carries
2: her when he carries her out of the room, lady yes. in the lady of the lake style. Yes.
0: You should have heard the audience when they showed this at Agfa, uh, when that happened. Everyone's like, "Oh, come on!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when that happened. Um, but I mean, it is kind of hinted that Atkins is dying also. Even it, yeah, even yeah. though he's <laughs> like, "I won, I won." He's dying. Yeah. We had now, his
2: throat ripped out by Shockma.
0: Yes. Now, let's say, somehow, despite having his jugular ripped out by a baboon, um, he survives the night. And okay. the authorities get there. <laughs> he killed Shakma and burnt him to a crisp. So, technically... That's going to make him look like he just slaughtered everybody in this building. So yeah. if so, if he survives, he's dead anyway because he's going to the electric
2: chair for a murder he didn't commit. There's a guy uh, in a room with a werewolf mask. Uh, there's an underage girl in a princess dress who's been killed. Like someone burnt to
0: uh, burnt to death by acid.
2: Oh yeah, I forgot about the acid. Yes, the acid.
0: Yeah, his girlfriend ripped to shreds, who, by the way, I love that he kisses not one, but two of the dead girls, um in the movie.
2: Also, uh, uh, let me, let me, uh, let me take your theory up a slight notch. Okay. The cops show up the next morning, uh, Atkins is still alive, and Shockma is still alive. <laughs> And Atkins goes, "It wasn't me. It was the baboon that I stabbed with this knife." It's set on fire.
0: So, so you're suggesting Shockma's going to burst out of the oven, all like Terminator style, at the end of the first Terminator? Uh. He's,
2: the, he's the Predator, dude. I'm not putting it past him. He's bursting out, Shockma. <laughs> It's it's uh, Friday the 13th, if you want to get real. Like, he's just. You can't keep Shockman at the bottom of the lake. <laughs> he's coming back, baby. Was this the be- first. Okay, so, Cujo. Mm-hmm. I'll put Cujo in this category of animal slasher films. Yes. I guess Jaws,
0: but. Well, Jaws originally was not intended to be, but the sequel's
2: made out yeah, of the slasher sequels, genre.
0: Yeah. Because all of a sudden it seemed like all the sharks were related to each other and purposely after the Brody family.
2: So explain to me what I missed. So here's here's what I... I'm going to take it from the top. All right, they're doing animal testing in in Roddy McDowell's uh, Uncle Touchy's Puzzle Lab there. Um, And um, all these students at the Polytechnic Institute are there. um, And this monkey... That they think they have tranked after doing surgery on it, I guess. Yeah. Um, isn't tranked and attacks uh I forget who it attacks, it attacks somebody. It attacks um, the head. And so and because of that, they're gonna put they're gonna put the monkey down. But instead of grabbing the euthanasia serum, what do they What is is that is whatever they grab the thing that makes Shockma, like, insane, an insane killing machine?
0: Yes, apparently they grabbed some sort of a hormone that intensified his, uh, natural instincts to kill. Did that? And it enraged him. That's the explanation that they gave online. And apparently that's what that chemical is that they gave.
2: Okay. Uh, but do they say that's, that that's... ever, or is it just, are we just to assume?
0: Oh, we're just to assume that. Okay.
2: Because yes. we saw the, we saw the, uh, the Laurel and Hardy, uh, mix him up with the euthanasia serum pretty yeah. clearly, but we didn't know what that serum was. Like they just shot him with something, We're like, oh, okay. And then he's like, Shock man. and then he comes back to life and starts ripping doors <laughs> well, off the of hinges.
0: Well they assume that everyone, they assume that everyone uh in the audience who's watching this movie is going to school for the same thing. So sure. they wouldn't understand what
2: that serum is yeah. everybody's gonna have the internet.
0: Everybody's going to be able to look this up. Especially in 1990. Yeah, why not, you know?
2: (laughs) Roddy McDowell's going to sit in his little weird uh, control room in front of a computer saying, if I had to hear the word over again, we get it. You're playing a a LARP. (laughs) Shut up. Shut up with the overs.
0: Okay. Did Roddy McDowell just look annoyed at everything in this movie?
2: Oh, he had to be in – this is Roddy McDowell. And he had to be in Shockma. Yes. He was annoyed at everything.
1: <laughs> uh,
2: this is Roddy goddamn McDowell. What movie, what, 1990 is when Shockma came out, right? Yes. Okay, so, so Roddy so McDowell at movie,
0: that point, Yes, so the movie is 30 years old this year, yes. That's
2: that's that's not great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Roddy McDowell had done some some big stuff by then, I think, hadn't he? Well,
0: he, I mean, well, I mean, besides the Planet of the Apes movie, yeah. um, he was in the Fright, Fright he was in Fright Night and Fright Night Part Two. Uh He was in Class of 1984. Uh, well, he was in Laser Blast, but that's, like, he, he obviously needed to pay a bill to be in that movie. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, Fright Night, Fright Night, uh, Fright Night actually helped kind of, like, give a boost to his career actually because yeah. um yeah, a lot of uh, he uh, a new fan base basically discovered him with Friday night, Friday like
2: night he had Park been too. he was a he was a hollywood mainstay from, oh, yeah from the from the early 70s even before well,
0: that he, really even but. before that when he was a kid he, when he was a kid he was in a movie called the boy with the green hair and which really shot him to the stratosphere because it was a movie that basically explored la- uh, racial inequality and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, Roddy McDowell's always been a major player in Hollywood. So, and then he is, had to do the Shock. Ultimate, Yeah, this is the ultimate in stunt casting. It really is.
2: This is, yeah, this is an, it feels like an insult. It feels <laughs> like they cast him as an insult. <laughs>
0: This is like uh bringing back uh what's her face for the rage carry part 2.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, this feels like an insult. This feels like uh retribution for something. So, yeah, he wasn't having any of this shit. Like any of this movie was not that he did not he, there was no one no one with a name was on this. I, I guess Atkins, you know, after a fashion. But I mean oh, he Oh
0: don't don't forget in the trailer we found out that he won like Best Young Actor Award at some film festival. So you know they they wanted to boost that up for us.
2: Well I mean he had done Blue Lagoon ten years before this.
0: And he was on Dallas.
2: You know <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's where he learned how to make a bite sleeve and a spear
0: no, he learned that from working with Kristen McNichol on the Pirate movie.
2: Oh, that's right! He was in the Pirate movie! Yeah. Oh! I forgot! <laughs> so,
0: yeah, I mean, uh, he. That, I mean, when you're working with Kristen McNichol, that's, you know, what you need to do. You need
2: to <laughs> I mean, I asked learn you... How to create a bite sleeve. I mean, I asked you if, um... If, uh... This movie got a major release.
0: It got like a minor release in theaters, and then um, after they realized that this movie was really not going to go anywhere in the movie theaters, they decided to um, throw it onto home video. At that point,
2: so it was a Roddy McDowell pretty much straight to home video release. <laughs> I'm sure you exactly. yeah pretty much I'm yeah thrilled about this thing.
0: Oh, you know he was. I mean, he was doing uh um, I mean, at the time he was doing a lot of voiceover work and everything. I mean, yeah. most 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 famously his work on Batman the Animated Series. Uh but
2: Pirates of Dark Water.
0: Yeah, Pirates of Dark Water, yeah, but still, yeah, this is um
2: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't I don't dislike it. Okay. I don't dislike it. Hey, at least Amanda Wee spun this out into a re- a reoccurring role on Highlander the series. <laughs> <laughs> no. I I don't dislike this film. I really don't. I I think that uh, I it was enjoyable to watch, especially just for the the insanity of this. Baboon, whatever they did to, to whatever mess they had to give this baboon in the '90s to make it act that way, like good on him. I don't usually say that. I'm not for.
0: <laughs> Especially since when they were doing the close-up shots of the baboon, he's just like, hey, I'm. I'm just gonna sit here and eat on my fruit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> And then, and then cut to a scene of him uh, ripping a, like like a Lou Ferrigno with the Incredible Hulk, like just ripping a, a car door off of a gremlin. Like, what? Now,
0: right, can we talk about the paul oh, in Halloween special? Before we do, um, I'm going to share this through our Skype conversation here. So I'm going to send All this right. photo. I want to show you a, the poster that was made for Shockma. All right. And looking at this poster, I want you to tell me if the movie that we watched is also the same movie that's being advertised in this poster.
2: No, the movie they set up at the beginning of the movie wasn't the movie we got in the (laughs) film.
0: All right, you ready? Yeah. Sending the poster now. Okay. All right, it has arrived in our Skype chat. What? What is that? <laughs> now, now, does that not look like they're setting up for like a PBS children's version yes. of
2: FS Files? Yes. <laughs> I didn't realize they made a third season of eerie Indiana, but God bless them. <laughs>
0: It's like Square One Television presents Shockma.
2: <laughs> no it does. It looks like it looks like some uh some some kind of PBS kids show. Like 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 uh, Solving mysteries. It's like a Nancy Drew type show. Little that, do they know a monkey's going to murder somebody and rip his face off.
0: That's the poster for Shockma.
2: That's wild. <laughs> that's wild. Do you think that bow tie was, uh, Roddy, was, uh, was uh, a, cat, was a cat, was a choice, was a McDowell choice?
0: Oh, I think that came from his own collection. Yeah, I think he, I think, I think he supplied, I think everyone in this movie supplied their own costumes, I think. <laughs>
2: there was no costume. Just wear what you're wearing.
0: Whatever's in your closet. We're going to have a lock-in. Girl. <laughs> Topanga girl's like, yeah,
2: I have this Ren Faire outfit I can finally wear. She's <laughs> like, I did summer stock.
0: I was in the Young Actors Workshop production of The Princess Bride as a background dancer. I can finally wear this.
2: I do Tempest in front of the mirror. I can wear it. <laughs>
1: what shock am I gonna wear? <laughs> Stupid
2: shit. Stupid shit. I love it. I love it. So, it is yep. exactly what this. It is exactly what what we do this show for. That's... Yep. That's what it comes, it comes down to.
0: And so, yes, now we can finally talk about the Paul Lynn Halloween special. So And this being Halloween, I wanted to do something extra, and I'm glad that this is on uh, Amazon Prime, because this thing had been lost for years. And it's wonderful. Paul Lynn had, had, during the 70s, did a lot of television comedy specials, and he only did one Halloween one, and this was it. And it was a ratings hit, so... No one understands why it's been lost all this time, but some, someone finally found a copy of it. They tried restoring it as best as they could, but as you can see, they really couldn't. So they said, you know what, let's just get it out there for people to rediscover. And now it's become this giant cult hit because of just how over-the-top silly and ridiculous it is. Good, so and, and, be- and because of the fact that it was the television debut of KISS.
2: Uh, yeah. And, and like I said to you offline, off uh, I think that this, the the Paul Lind Halloween special featured more Kiss than Kiss in the Phantom <laughs> <of> the Park. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, here's a Kiss song and another Kiss song. Let's have a disco. Who wants Kiss to play? Hey, Kiss, let's have an interview with Kiss. Is that Beth Kiss? It's like, why? <laughs> why is there so much Kiss? I want to say. On top of the other, as silly and goofy as it is, it's good. hmm And I told you this, you know, uh, you forget. If you're of a certain age, even if you're not, you watch one of these specials, whether it's a Donnie and Marie thing or whether it's a it Paul Lynn thing or whether it's... Cher, share any of the... Yeah, any anything where it's Cat like a, a special, where there's going to be jokes, there's going to be musical numbers, there's going to be sketches, you know... Um, y- Any kind of variety show. Mm. Nowadays, the only, the only thing that has gotten close to it was the, there was a variety show that Martin Short and Maya Rudolph did, um, what, two years ago now that was on, uh, NBC that was, that was good. It was close. But, you forget how good, what kind of comedian, how good you have to be to do one of these until you watch Paul Lynn do it. Yeah making bad jokes good making good jokes bad on purpose everything from the cold open um with margaret hamilton where they where he keeps uh missing what holiday it is which is a great it was a great cold open to the musical number uh, down, you know, down to the, down to the meat of the, uh, of the overarching umbrella story. Um it was just great. It was, it was heartwarming to watch. I suggest everybody watch it. It's a wild time. This takes us back to a simpler time and oddly not problematic at all. Yeah. You know? I mean, I mean, I
0: guess the only thing that I would like just shake my head on with this is that, and this is again only in the seventies, would, Someone like the actress who played Pinky Tuscadero on Happy Days and who is billed as Pinky Tuscadero. Yes. She considered like a major star on this. I mean, it's like, no. OK, we have Betty White. We have Tim Conway. We have Florence Henderson. We've got Kiss. We've got, you know, you got, all-
2: for God's sakes,
0: you've got Billy Barty, you've got, you got, uh, Billy, Billy Hayes, who is from Broadway and at the time was known for H.R. Puff and stuff. you got Margaret Hamilton. No, this stars Pinky Tuscadero and then these <laughs> other people.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tim Conway in 76, you couldn't escape Tim Conway. You could not. It's like Jonathan Winters. Oh, yeah. In the late 70s and early 80s, there was, you want to talk about a household name? Like, your your house was probably named Tim Conway. That's how much of a household name Tim Conway was. And then Pinky Tuscadero <laughs> doing disco. Uh, I will go that out on a limb and co- say. Gnashing co- co- for cocaine yeah. teeth. Yeah, I was going to say, coked out of her gourd. <laughs> um,. No, I, no, understand, I say it's good, because it's very good. Also, there were a lot of weirdest shit choices in it that were amazing.
0: (laughs) Like, I'm having Florence Henderson sing a disco version of that old black
2: magic. Yes, in, in this, in a slinky, uh, like, evening gown. Black, (laughs) sparkly evening gown. Like, wait, this is, this this is Mrs. Brady? (laughs) Um... Betty White, who shows up as, as, as Miss Halloween.
0: Uh, Miss Halloween 1976, yeah. It looks exactly the same as she does now.
2: It's just like, holy shit.
0: And then, you know, the witches who... Uh, <laughs> the fact that they decided to have witchy Pooh from H.R. Puffet's stuff be the sister of the Wicked Witch of the West from The Wizard of Oz, I was like, okay, that's a choice. Uh, right. But, you know, they they grant Paul in three wishes, and he, you know, he does his two wishes. Then he allows his third wish to be granted to the witches for, uh, you know, basically giving him a good time. And their biggest wish is to go to a disco.
2: Yeah, we've never been to a Hollywood disco.
0: So they want to go to a Hollywood disco, and the Hollywood disco we get is basically...
2: (laughs) What if
0: Alice Cooper hired Bob Mackey to sign <laughs> his Halloween party? <laughs> and the result is the second half of this special. Um, during the first half, we get to see Paul Lin's wishes. And what does he wish for? His very first wish, to become a rhinestone emblazoned truck driver.
2: And, and, <laughs> again, you know, for anybody that we're listening that's under the age of, that's 30 or under, in the late 70s, early 80s, long haul truck drivers were all like, I can't think of a profession now that you could compare to like the popularity of just long haul truck drivers in IT. pop culture.
0: IT, I think.
2: Yeah, possibly. maybe. But, you know, you had, some, you had your Smokey and the Bandits, and you had your Wichita linemen, and you had your, you we know... got
0: a great big convoy.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, convoy. Yeah, exactly, and Chris Christopherson. Convoy and, uh, is what really sent it into the
0: stratosphere, it really did. Convoy and Smokey and the Bandit definitely sent the idea of a truck driver through the stratosphere, because then we got stuff like Smokey and the Bear, and uh, you name it. I mean, it was just, it was all of a sudden, this weird fantasy job
2: <laughs> nowhere yeah where his his arch nemesis was just uh Tim Conway doing different versions of truck drivers yes <laughs> and i didn't know i didn't realize that diner rules meant the first person that gets to the diner gets to marry pinky tuscadero but yep. <laughs> i'm sure fonzie was not happy about that but... am, i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> what about his? I, I want to hear your uh, your take on uh, on the second wish, wish number two,
0: where he's the the sheik seducing um, the 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 Westinghouse frigidaire?s
2: Yes, <laughs> which was that is that is the hottest take. That is the best roast. I think I wrote it to you, and I can't I can't find it in my link. That line, that actual line, was just fantastic. Um, whatever. The the part that made me
0: laugh the hardest is when he was like talking about how he's going to seduce her, and he he gives her like this passionate kiss, and she hasn't moved a muscle. And after he's done, she's still in the same position. She's like, "I'm waiting," and he's like, "God, that's
2: cold." Yeah, the Westinghouse <laughs> Bridadarius. You're right. You, you nailed it. Yeah, that is the line. I was like, that is a great line. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was, and then the third wish, of course, was that. But the whole, the, the, the whole thing was these two witches had to lure Paul Lind to, uh, to this, uh, witch house, this manor. Um, in, in what I can only imagine is, uh, up, upstate Los A- or upstate California. I don't know where it's supposed to be. <laughs>
0: Uh, maybe somewhere in East Pasadena or something. I don't know. I mean,
2: <laughs> there was a great bit, by the way, that we haven't touched on. It was it was a it was a longer short bit. It, 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 they they kept making it a callback joke to the uh, buzzer that's sitting out front named Rover. Oh yes, <laughs> it barked. Yes, it's great. Down Rover. It, it's great. Like they did the, the interview. So so yes, let's go to Kiss because. Kiss gets, uh, well, there, how does Kiskit get introduced?
0: There is one more joke that just seemed like it was an ad lib and it worked really well. It's when Paul Lin real, you know, realized that he had been kidnapped by these witches in order to help with uh, their public image. And he's like, no, never mind. In fact, I think I hear my cab outside. And he goes running outside and Rover barks at him. He goes running back in and says, yes. Yeah driver
2: couldn't cash a 20. The driver couldn't cash a 20. And Betty White riffing on all the different Pauls they could have got, but they got yes. Paul Lynn. Paul Cardone. <laughs> <laughs> you get me Paul Lynn? Les Paul. <laughs> <Just> yeah. He said Les Paul. I was like, wow. Like, he was available. <laughs> it was great. It was great. But yeah, how do they introduce Kiss?
0: Okay, so Kiss is... <laughs> So, so they ask Paul if he wants to hear some chamber music, and he's like, "Oh, it depends. Depends on whose chamber it is, you know." <laughs> yeah,
2: a, a great and, Paul It just lied. And um, and they
0: say they say, "Oh, they make very beautiful music." The name is and Margaret Hamilton's like, "Yeah, the name is Kiss," and Paul's like, "Not on the first date." Uh, <laughs> and so they call for Kiss to come in, and <laughs> then. Right when they say that, explosions all over the place. They, they they come down this elevator like you're expecting to hear,
2: Ooh, black
0: diamond! No. Right. <laughs> and they emerge ready to rock and roll, and they cut to Paul in, and he's got this Steve Harvey, what-the-fuck look on his face. Yeah. Uh, and they and they cut right into Detroit Rock City, which um, which by the way they are poorly lip syncing. Oh, oh, it's uh, bad. Oh, it's a bad
2: lip sync job.
0: And um, I, I I feel so sorry for the people on the set because there's so many. I mean, with all with with their performances, there was so much fire being yeah. on the set. I'm just like. Oh, you you know they were nervous this whole time, making sure that an accident doesn't happen, especially when they had the audience close to the pyrotechnics. And I'm just going, yeah, I get, I get to see, you know, the firemen off the side right now, just ready to hose the whole set down. Just
2: ready to hose Kiss down. <laughs> but then, so they do that song. Then they do, do they do another song in between that and Beth? yeah so yeah, when, when, when we get to
0: the disco part, when we, when we get to the Hollywood disco, then then oh, sorry, my thought my phone was on mute. I'm sorry. Sorry. All right. <laughs> so they they get to the disco part and they want to know what's the difference between an oldie and a goodie and a number one with a bullet. and I forgot what the other phrase is. and of course, Paul Lynn uses this, this as an opportunity to be Paul Lynn. And then he points a kiss, and he says, they're number one with a bullet. And this song is a big hit right now. It's called Beth. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And then they cut to the – every performance of Beth that I've ever seen is the same. Because it's apropos of nothing. It comes out of left field, and you cut to a piano and a guy in cat makeup and a bunch of candles. Yes. And you're just like, oh, we got Beth. Yes, I hear. <laughs> yeah, and then,
0: yeah, Beth, Beth, Beth performs out of nowhere, and I was just like, God, you really could not escape this god damn song. Give <laughs> it at the time. Good Lord. Um, so, you know, they perform Beth, and then um, Paul Lynn talks with Kiss, and, uh, you know, he asks... Um, Gene Simmons, who does your makeup, and people are like, we don't wear makeup.
2: Yeah, yeah. That, yeah so, yes, they did do that. You, you, you
0: could tell that they're there, yet Paul Stanley didn't want to be there. <laughs> Out of all of them who looked like they didn't want to be there, he was the one who didn't look like he wanted to be there. And me, me, um, Gene was just being Gene. Yeah,
2: so uh, Gene and Paul 100% did not want to be there. <laughs> Especially Paul. Yeah, the, the look on their faces was was just we have to be on this, the the set of the Donnie and Marie show <laughs> perform, <laughs> performing Detroit Rock City best um, and then what is the, what was the third song they did
0: I can't remember what the third song was that they performed but yeah they immediately performed one song after they were done with their banter with uh Paul Lynn there was another like he, uh heavy rock song It's too bad this didn't come out during the time of I Was Made For Loving You, because it would have made sense to perform that, since they were at a disco, and that is technically a disco song. Um, But, yeah, I can't remember what the third song was. Let me see if I can find it.
2: Whatever the last song was, it ended with Gene blowing fire. Yes. (laughs) Which doesn't seem safe at all.
0: Yeah, it's him Blowing Fire because you know they couldn't do the the blood effect, basically.
2: So Yeah, that's true. That wouldn't have gone over very well.
0: But uh let's see here if I can find out. It is uh do 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 Beth. King of the Nighttime World. That was the Ah, first.
2: yes, yes.
0: And then and then after that, after they perform King of the Nighttime World, then we get to uh it's like Cope Coke out of her head, Pinky Tuscadero oh. doing some banter with Paul Lin, and then they start singing and line dancing to Disco Baby.
2: Yeah, it's like, Hi, Paul. Do you want to do a dance? And do you want to do a dance, Paul? Dance, dance. Can I Can I do it? Yeah, I'll show you how you just got to step over. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's
0: like, What she is going she was on? all teeth. <laughs> what, and the thing is, I'm wondering if they, because cause it's obvious the song "Disco Lady," which was an actual single, but she's calling it "Disco Baby," and I'm like, okay, was this a blooper? They just decided to keep because she couldn't
2: get the lyrics. <laughs> they couldn't get it right. They, I wonder how many takes of that they did, and they just, she just could not. Yeah, pause. <laughs> 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 okay. It's like, ooh, ooh, this is this is rough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then let's not forget we have Billy Barty as the house servant. Oh, yes, of course. The, 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 the put-upon house servant this whole time. There's a couple of short jokes made at his expense. Uh, but, you know, he gets back, uh, of course, in his in, in inimitable style. Um, but, yeah, I, I love that this was, you know, at a time where they weren't afraid to go – not only corny with the humor, but a little dark with the humor because there's a scene where, um, <laughs> where Billy Barty has to feed and take Rover for a walk and he's, you, you hear violence off stage and he comes back out with like a couple of scratches and his clothes completely torn to bits. And, you know, they weren't afraid to go with jokes like that back then.
2: Yeah, no, and, and the thing was they definitely pushed it to, Kind of the the line, but never crossed it. Like I said, into anything necessarily problematic. Yeah. And I think that's because Paul Lind is so good at delivering a joke, and especially where he's where he's from. You know, where, the place that he was telling the jokes from was, you know, um, it, it just never it never crossed that line into something where I was like, ooh, ouch! Like I watch a lot of that stuff now, and I'm like, ooh, yeah, that's rough. And this one never yeah. got there. Like it was just, it was just good fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he did get a couple of risque jokes in there, like he was famous for on Hollywood Squares and stuff. But then again, that, that's that's Paul Lin. You know, yeah, you're I mean, not he never stop really
2: That's him. why you hire Paul Lin.
0: Yeah, I mean, he never really got that risque on the Donnie and Marie show. But uh, who, by the way, have a cameo in this as themselves uh, as well. Uh, A little unannounced cameo. It's like they come out of nowhere, their teeth shining more than Pinky Tuscadero's, and uh, have a little brief cameo, too. They
2: shove them in a trash can, I believe, if I remember correctly. They shove them in a trash can,
0: (laughs) yes. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's fun. If if you've never seen this, it's it's on... If you have Amazon Prime, it's on Amazon Prime. If not, someone actually uh had the courtesy of uploading it to YouTube also it, it you have to see this thing to believe it it's it's a blast it really is i i i i, I mean, chris is like uh with it uh, <laughs> but i watch it every year for halloween i really do uh ever ever since it's been rediscovered because it's just it's it's so much fun
2: i think i think right now more than ever this is the kind of thing that we need yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, I would love to see kind of a rebirth of the variety show. Uh, I think we have plenty of avenues for it and, and uh, plenty of talent to do it. Um, I think it would be really interesting to see that come back around. It's one of my favorite, uh, formats, entertainment formats. Uh, I, I would, it's just something I would really love to to see come back. I don't mm-hmm. think you'll ever be able to do it the way that Paul Lynn did it or Jonathan Winters did it or, you know, any of the any of the, the classics. But it's... Well, like, not
0: even the way Jessica Simpson did it when her and uh, Nicholas Shea had those few in the late 90s, early 2000s.
2: The Christmas-style ones or whatever they were. Yeah. Yeah, I just think, you know, I think there's a few, a few very talented people out there that can pull it off. Like I said, uh, Martin Short did a good job with... Um, with uh, Maya Rudolph for, for theirs with uh, Keenan Thompson was involved that was good, but it's just it's just one of my favorite formats. And I'd I love Neil, to see it come back.
0: I know Neil Patrick Harris tried it didn't work. Um, he, he he tried a couple of years ago and it just didn't take out. I think off. I think it really it really does depend on who it is that you get to do it because you have to have someone who has that natural ability to pull off something like this like Paul Lynn did. I mean, I mean this was his bread and butter I and mean, he I mean he he makes he makes jokes about in this about how he's not that big of a celebrity or anything and he also makes a lot of self-deprecating jokes as well because yes. he had a very tragic you know childhood and everything. Uh, but he spins gold out of it and oh, just really one, does one of the things that was magic about Paul Lynn was that even though he was fighting his own demons because he couldn't, you know, come out of the closet, he was dealing with alcoholism and drug abuse and everything. But he always would make you laugh. I mean, whether yeah. it, whether it be as Doctor Bombay on Bewitched, or and I'm sorry, not Doctor Bombay, but uh, but uh, Uncle Arthur on Bewitched, or if it was in Bye Bye Birdie or if it was on Hollywood Squares or the or the Donnie Marie show or whatever it was that he was doing. I mean, there's there's this story out there that I'm like that's just typical Paul Lynn where he was pulled over for drunk driving and the police officer went up to the window and he looked at the police officer and said, "I'll have a cheeseburger with Coke." And, <laughs> and it cracked the the police officer so much that he just let him off with a warning. And he- Police escort back home, um, which wouldn't happen today. But no. yeah, but that's just how Paul Lynn was. I mean, he made everybody laugh, and I we we were talking about this earlier. Also, um, James and I, and I honestly cannot wait for this biopic to come out that uh, oh, yeah. they're making about Paul Lynn. I'm really curious to see who they cast as Donnie Murray Osmond. Uh, <laughs> but, um. I, I, I think it's going to be great because, I mean, his story definitely deserves to be told. Because, it does. Because he is, he, he is a gay – he was a gay icon during the time when there were no gay icons. So I, I can't
2: wait for it. I can, I honestly can't either. It's just one of those situations where you just don't – it's a, it's a once-in-a-generation thing, the kind of talent that Paul Lind has. Mm-hmm. And you – you it's one of those things where when you see it, you're just like, holy hell, this guy, you know, there's nothing this guy can't do. Like, yeah. you know, there's nothing he can't make funny. And when and then, you know, 20 years passes or whatever, and he passes out, you know, it, it it's not like it. It's not like um, a Freddie Mercury or a you know, somebody where you turn on the radio and you're going to hear Queen songs. You don't hear Paul lind songs. Yeah. You have to go seek this stuff out. Or yeah. the game show network for old Hollywood squares, whatever it is, but um, but the but the man was a comic genius, mm-hmm. like just period.
0: Yeah, I mean, even something like the most simplest little thing. There was this. I mean, I'll never forget this in the film adaptation of Bye Bye Birdie, uh, where he you know he reprised his role as uh, Mr. McAfee that he did on Broadway. Uh, there's a scene where uh, Dick Van Dyke's mom in the movie. Is so upset that she decides to commit suicide by sticking her head in the oven, which is a joke that would not fly today. Nope. Um, but she goes to stick her head in the oven, and he's like, "Mom, stop it! Stop! Stop this!" And he looks up at uh, Mister Mister Mac- uh, I mean Mister McAfee, and Paul Lynn looks at him and goes, "It's electric. trick."
2: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's just the, the just the way it's
0: delivered. It, it was hilarious. It cracked me up when I was watching it. So, and and, and that's that's what the man was able to do. Always,
2: yeah. agreed, agreed. So, speaking of
0: um, variety specials, no, oh, no, of this nature. This this leads us to our November outing, and uh, it's something that. I feel is long overdue for us to talk on about on this show. Uh we're going with a heavy hitter. Oh okay. So before before we get to that though, for those who are uh Patreon subscribers or Patreon, however you want to pronounce it. Uh speaking of heavy hitters, we do have a heavy hitter coming up that is exclusive for Patreon subscribers. We're going to be talking about the Killer Tomato franchise. Yes. Uh, now, we're now we're purposely watching the first two films, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and Return of the Killer Tomatoes.
2: Purposely?
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> there are four films all together in the franchise, and then, of course, there's the animated series, there's the line of toys, there's the line of video games, you name it. I mean, Killer Tomatoes. You know, Killer Tomatoes was kind of like an underground thing in the 70s and the 80s, but then when Return of the Killer Tomatoes came out, all of a sudden it became this fun mainstream thing. Uh, which is very interesting to see have happen. So, I mean, plus it's it's killer tomatoes. It's 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 comfort food, you know, for cult film fans. Oh, yeah. So, um, we're we're finally going to be talking about that. So, if you're not signed up for the uh, for the Patreon, hopefully this is incentive so that way you can hear us talk about uh, uh, a, a then unknown George Clooney uh <laughs> making a movie <laughs> with Killer Tomatoes and 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 John Aston. So there you go. Um but we have a heavy I've I, I've decided there was one film that I was going to do and eventually we're gonna do this movie. Um let me let you know the movie we were going to do for November. Okay. Uh we were going to do uh Alan Thick starring in Not Quite Human from the Disney Channel.
2: Okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> But, um, I figured we just recently did something from the Disney Channel. We don't need to go back to the Disney Channel this soon already. Um, and then I realized, you know what? It's November. Yes. We're entering the holiday season.
2: I guess. Yes. Yeah. Uh,
0: we've not really done anything that is holiday season centric yet on this show. And I decided, you know, you, you know, we got, we got, Christmas, we've got Hanukkah, we've got uh, Kwanzaa, we've got New Year's, we've got Thanksgiving. We've got all these different holidays coming up. We also have a little holiday called Life Day coming up.
2: Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so I figured
0: it's time for us to finally visit the Star Wars Holiday Special.
2: Oh, we're just going to keep that cocaine train rolling, aren't we? <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, damn it, Wilford Brimley. Damn it, uh... <laughs>
0: So, um, I'm going to give you a choice here, though, Mr. Farmer. Oh, okay. Because there are two ways to watch the Star Wars Holiday Special now. Um, I mean, it's yet to go to Disney Plus, so, you know, we don't even know if it it ever will go to Disney. If it goes to Disney Plus, I will shit a gold brick. Right. Um, but apparently Disney has ordered cease and desist letters for people who try to do public screenings of the Star Wars <laughs> Holiday Special now. So I'm just like, okay, so that's another acknowledgment that this thing is canon. Um, but I'm giving you a choice. Do you want to watch this just untainted the way it is? Or do you want to watch this with the officially sanctioned Rift Tracks commentary from RiftTracks.com?
2: Oh, no, I think it, I think it has to be unsanctioned
0: unsanctioned. Okay. Oh, so yeah. for, so we're going to watch it raw, all like un, un unfiltered everything. Um I know that the uh the prints that are available online include the commercials that originally aired with
2: Thank it. Thank
1: God.
0: Uh, so we get to see the original commercial breaks also, which is going to be wonderful. Um but uh yeah, we 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 will uh we we we've we've went, we've went from Tim Conway and now we're going to Harvey Korman.
2: Exactly. Yes, we are. We're going straight to Harvey Korman as the shopkeep.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh we're going from Betty White to B Arthur.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't
0: think there's any uh holiday variety specials that had Rue McClanahan or Estelle Getty. So, unfortunately we can't do like the the, the, the Golden Girls saga, or
2: something like that. <laughs> we can't do the, the the hatchet cut of the Golden Girls in uh <laughs> in in holiday variety shows.
0: Yes, um, we have um, Jefferson Starship.
2: <sighs> we have an old Wookiee looking at VR porn yes
0: with 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 Diane Carroll, and then of course we've got the 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 cartoon where um Han Solo is is, in, is extremely asymmetrical
1: uh,
0: <laughs> um, however if if you've never seen the version from Riff Tracks, I highly recommend it. It's hilarious. It's one of the funniest riffs they've ever done, um, especially during the first fifteen minutes where it's nothing but done in Wookiee language. Yes. Uh, they have a field day trying to translate what's being said. Uh, <laughs> and uh, at one point, they even call uh, Chewbacca's kid Paul Williams at
2: one point. Um, no, I think we need to fully immerse ourselves. We need no other opinions. We yeah. need to uh, come into this, you know, virginal, uh, you know, clean, baptized in the fire that is uh, a coked up... uh a coked up, up, a up Princess
0: Leia, coked up Carrie Fisher, and it's like, okay, so we, uh, so um, Mark Hamill, let's just make him all Kabuki-like. Let's, you know, let's you know, <laughs> screw what he looked like in the first film. Let's, you know, just doll him up.
2: Yeah, let's really let's make it. This is for TV, right? We gotta, we gotta put the, We gotta, we gotta make him up for TV. It's different.
0: Yeah, whore him up. Yeah. <laughs> I have been dying to talk about this movie with you. Or not, not even a movie. It's a holiday special. I've been dying to talk about this with you. So I'm like, you know what? November 18th is Life Day. Let's get this out by Life Day, and we'll take it from there.
2: Yeah, I have a bad – I think I still have a bad bootleg of this somewhere. <laughs>
0: What, what what good-natured Star Wars fan does not have a bootleg
2: copy of somewhere of the Star Wars Holiday Special? It was one of those where I was at a comic book convention and some guy on a, in a booth in the back corner had a TV like a like an old CRT TV playing it, and then he had like awful like burnt CDs of it. Three
0: bootleg VHS tapes for thirty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and this is back when you could get not only the Star Wars holiday special but the phantom edit of the Phantom Menace and Yes. Uh, yeah, yes. all sorts of forbidden other forbidden things, you know, that you couldn't find anywhere else.
2: Yeah, I'm good. Let let's do that. I'm I'm into this. Awesome.
0: All right, and again, if uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber, look for the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes saga discussion. If you're not, um, you could sign up at Patreon.com forward slash. So I watched this. Um, plan start at just three dollars. We have uh, different giveaways each month. In fact, we just gave away um, a copy of the soundtrack to The Return of the Living Dead on vinyl, uh, which is basically also a primer for '80s uh, surf. Punk music, and um, in November i'm going to be giving away a disney themed prize uh, yeah. yeah so i haven't 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 exactly decided between which of the two yet, but I can confirm it will be disney themed so there you go and I've got something very fun planned if I could pull this off uh, for the patreon subscribers for the prize in December, and I'm still thinking of what to do for December for you, Mr. Farmer. Uh, <laughs> although, although we may need a palate cleanser after the Star Wars Holiday Special, so... <laughs> <laughs> we'll after, see. After, after after doing Mother Goose Rock and Rhyme, followed by Shockma, followed by the Star Wars Holiday Special, we may need a palate cleanser.
2: So. Uh, well, here's the thing. There's plenty of Christmas... Movies that fall into that cult category that I think you can find.
0: Yeah. Very easily. All right, gang. Well, thank you very much. If you're curious to see the movie Shockma, uh, it is available for free to stream on Tubi. It is also available to stream for free through Shout Factory TV. If you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, it is there as well. So it is very easy to find a copy of this thing and watch it in all of its What the Fuck glory. Yes. Uh, so until next time, uh, get ready for a life day and, uh, you know, basically uh, get your uh, Bantha rump prepared along with your cocaine cookies and <laughs> join us for it. All right, gang, talk to you later. And bye. Shot.